Welcome, welcome, welcome. Wednesday night party time. Hey, everybody. It is vibrant. We are at a new time now, 7 p.m. Central. So due to that shift, we may need to help our, you know, friends out there find out that the stream is live. If you don't mind doing us a solid and sharing it on whatever group chats you got or social medias, appreciate you very much because we've got a really valuable show tonight, hopefully. You know, the plan is that we have, for a long time, we've talked about various ways that letters shift between languages and how we can, as Gabriel puts it, <laughs> philologically lockpick our way into the secrets of the priesthood and the interconnections between cultures, mythologies, religions, languages. So I thought, you know, last night I was just kicking around like, what do I want to do for Vibrant tomorrow? And it occurred to me, we ought to do a show where we try to capture as much of that, you know, all of those details for your lockpicking kit as we can put together. So that's what we're here to do. This ought to be one for the ages, one to return to, one to screen capture some of the slides on. And I uh, I spent the day putting together, you know, the best presentation I could on this subject. But that being said, there's going to be way more details available to discover way, 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 way more than what we can actually talk about in this show. So this is kind of like the 10,000 foot overview. And I'm hoping that you guys out there in the chat and in our telegram groups wouldn't mind if you have something pop into your head. That's an example of one of the linguistic switch ups that we are describing and discussing. Throw it into the chat. We'd really like everyone's contributions and I will watch out for those and read those and, you know, let them add to the mountains and mountains of evidence <laughs> because in this subject, like this subject matter, any one particular variation or etymology that we might derive out of these linguistic similarities are in and of themselves. They are not like hard and fast evidence to prove some kind of connection between cultures. But when you put it all together, you know, it starts to paint a picture and it's the lie that dies under the weight of the details, not the truth. So here we are with my man, Gabriel. What's up, dude? Welcome. Big up chance. Thanks again, brother. I'm excited for this. You know, I love something you said in that last show with uh, Dr. Moshe about how, you know, some of these philological connections, they're not the kind of thing you would bring to court. You know, that is such an important case, uh, uh, but it does help on with your own discernment, like you were saying, to cut away the dross and to get a, a better grasp and uh, apprehension for yourself as an individual. But like you've said before, I love that, that it's not the kind of thing you can really take to court uh, because not everybody speaks philologically. You know, they don't see the world uh, through that lens. I think you were talking about uh, gematria in particular, but uh, the same goes for when we cross over into other languages, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it, they, all of these are very helpful for the for the individual. Uh, but sometimes you try to bring these to bear in a group conversation and people be like, eh, bridge too far. And you're like, well, how many bridges do I have to build? Because I can build like 50 bridges if you give me time. So, <laughs> yeah, right. The, uh, the the toughest part about this topic is trying to get all of the observations out of my head and into speech into a, a slideshow. 
And it really, it's not the kind of thing where you can do the work for other people. This show is our best attempt to set you up to do the work for yourself. When I say to do the work, I don't mean like that it's going to be hard. I just mean if you have certain keys and we're hoping to purvey some of those keys tonight uh, appropriately. Now, this is the first vibrant and Taurus season and we're revealing the golden and silver keys of the Hierophant here. (laughs) Uh, You know, if you have if you have those keys, you're going to make the observations on your own. And they'll come automatically. You just need a little bit of a a guidance system. And I think it's very important to have a a logical guidance system. And then also maybe some fun, flexible, green language, twilight language, you know, inspired logos, nudge, nudge, wink, wink from the creator type way of recognizing connections too. But Mm -hmm. the etymologies that we're going to discuss in terms of like, connections between languages, this ought to make sense as a system. And I know that the whole study of etymology is getting more popular in the truth community, which is great, but there's also a lot of fast and loose etymology being done. I'm looking at mainly things pertaining to the box saga where I'm not hating on any one person in particular, but there's a lot of folks out there, especially purveying that particular narrative of the box saga, which has some good things to it. It probably has some true elements to it, but it all, it gives the whole field of etymology a bad look. And, you know, it smells like shit in here because there's people like claiming things as true, like millions of years ago, this is what was happening. Like you really know that (laughs) how can you just make that as a claim? So what we're hoping to do here is not, to make any kind of like hard and fast claims or tell you, we know exactly what was going on in history, but that Mm -hmm. we can show connections. And then that those connections tell you the different story than at least the mainstream model. And then then we're all in the same boat together of, I don't know, but I don't know. And seeing the ancestors as more intelligent and more empowered than the Mm -hmm. barbarians that we're presented for most of the cultures of the world. I think that's going to be very helpful to all of our, you know, raising the sea level of consciousness. So nice. You know, (laughs) I like to present this information as a a kind of etymological system and consider it as such. Whereas other purveyors, and again, I'm not trying to talk smack on anybody or call anyone out in particular, but other purveyors of so called etymology are making hard and fast claims without any actual legwork on like the back end of why this means this according to them they just say it like this means this i'm like Mm -hmm. okay where's the receipt (laughs) we may not have receipts for every observation we make here but we're going to give you a whole back catalog of you know uh, tools that have a ground in reality and in actual linguistic studies and in real life examples that should make sense and should follow and should flow yeah man yep and you know Something that I've, uh, I mean, it just dawned on me last week. It's always so like current when we do these projects. Uh, you know, oftentimes things are hidden behind uh, uh, cultural norms. And when we penetrate in and we see it, uh, it can feel like it was nefariously obscured or it feels like it was a, you know, covered up or the universe, somebody was working against you. And that's not necessarily the case. It's just that you didn't have the cultural context. And so when uh, one thing that's on my mind is like, when I re- when I learned that 
uh, you know, my end Thanos Fauci thing about how, you know, Thanos snaps his, his gauntlet of power and half the universe disappears for five years and how, you know, uh, that's so pertinent to current events recently. Well, I learned that says, my problem is that they do it with modern language that didn't exist back then, like using English phonetics to prove meanings of ancient Greek words. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, try, yeah. To, we try to avoid to do that. I mean, I won't right. say that I've never made mistakes like that before along the path, but mm-hmm. hopefully I wasn't using it as claims. <laughs> right. you know, connections are one thing. Connections, you know, Gabe is the master of this. Connections will you pull on a thread of connections that might not have any actual grounds in like physical, logical reality, but it might take you somewhere that does. And that's great. So you should pull on those threads and go places, but it's all about like, what are we claiming as truth versus what are we investigating as interest? Right. Right. Cause it will, it'll totally take you places you never thought you, and you never would have got there if you didn't follow that thread. So the, uh, the thing about, uh, Anthanos Fauci, when I learned that the word for gauntlet in Italian, because he's Anthony Fauci, <laughs> in Italian, the word for a gauntlet is monopoly, a monopoly. And uh, basically, we know about what the uh, medical industrial monopoly is all about at this point. And so the metaphor of Anthanos Fauci became more solidified when I realized that in Italian, uh, the, the monopoly was, you know, his, uh, what is it? Uh, six presidents, I think five or six presidents in his hand, literally in his hand for uh, for that long. And so, yeah, uh, and that just and that's when it clicked. I was like, oh, he's Anthanos Fauci. <laughs> and it fit like a hand in a glove. The infinity gauntlet. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. So that's the kind of style that Gabriel's got. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> it takes you places. It does. But. We're going to look at some slides now. I think that enough people have piled in. We've been here about 10 minutes. So I also want to say thank you to the friends in the chat who have already sent a super chat across. Thank you so much, Rachel and Logan. You guys are consistent, commonly supportive people and uh, uncommonly awesome (laughs) audience members. So thank you so much for that. And you know, I encourage anybody else out there that wants to super chat. uh, this, This is my job. So thank you for that. And I did a lot of work today on these slides. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, do you have, do you want to say anything else to introduce the topic before I bring up the slides? You know, it feels weird to pull mm-hmm. up the slideshow before 45 or 50 minutes in. Well, <laughs> um, something that's been on my mind about this and maybe the reason why it's good that, you know, I, I believe that it's crucial that everybody at least make an effort to learn one other language at a minimum. You know, I, uh, my, my ex, she's from, she's from Spain and she used to make that joke about like, uh, you know what it is when people have three languages and I'm like, oh, they're trilingual. What is it when they have two languages? Oh, they're bilingual. What if they have one language? And I'm like, what? She's like American. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, <laughs> that hurts. That hurts. So yeah, being if you uh, up all the words I know from other languages, it's a maybe that is like knowing a second language. I right. don't speak fluently in anything, but you know, I'm getting dangerous on different alphabets. Uh huh. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, man, that you're our freaking our our go to for the Greek. Well, uh, so this is what was on my mind a week ago. Was like. 
you know, uh, one example is like the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, we we were told to say the Pledge of Allegiance way before we were even old enough to have the discernment as to what that means. You know, in up until 1942, the Pledge of Allegiance looked a lot like the Sig Heil that the you know that the Germans were doing. Uh, trilingual, yeah, right, yeah, Sicilians with the three legs. One for each peninsula of the island. <laughs> um, so, so one thing that I think about is how often do we get kind of duped into agreeing with or even saying things that we don't really mean the meaning, know the meaning behind them. You know, that's one of the hazards uh, that you know. Hopefully, uh, increased discernment and linguistical savvy can kind of help us navigate a little better, um, even. Uh, you know, we know what that comes out to in the in the uh, in the courtroom. You know, in the courtroom, they have a whole other dictionary where the words don't mean what you thought they meant, and you start wrapping your head around Black's Law, and you it will open entire so- parallel realities. You know, and that's another thing. I think this is the actual multiverse, uh, the linguistical maze that we're trying to you know uh, lay and give better perspective on you know, lifts people's, elevates people's uh, awareness of the landscape. Uh, and so Black's Law is a really good one to have in your uh, in your tool belt, because you'll realize that some of those words don't mean what you thought. And then also I have here uh, another example is like the doctor's oath. I looked into the, you know, the Hippocratic Oath, and it turns out the doctors, they don't talk, they don't say a word about do no harm. That is not even in their process any longer. They snuffed that out in the 60s. And then I looked into what it was before they snuffed it out. And they were making pledges to like Greek gods and like all the gods of the pantheon. Yeah, they were talking. They were. uh, Yeah, they were making uh, pledges to gods that I don't necessarily give any credence to. So. Uh, that's just another thing to think about. People's oaths, you know, uh, oaths of uh, of um, uh, civil servants. You know, they've kind of eroded all of that. And we're in a whole new world at this point. So I just kind of wanted to put that on the table since we're about to uh, take things to another level. Awesome. And uh, Braden just sent me a super chat on Rockfin. <laughs> but he said it's for a premium Duolingo account. So... <laughs> Challenge accepted. Yeah, I, I would definitely like to put my my money where my mouth is on maybe because what you can do with a few minutes a day, man. I think we, all of us out there, like, let's see where we get if we uh, spent, you know, 30 minutes a day on teaching ourselves another language. I'm probably going to go with Greek because it's fun and I already have the alphabet figured out, but we'll see. So, yeah, <laughs> Dylan says what you're talking about. Uh, comes from the therapeutic who we have to thank for the gospels and epistles. Yeah, there's a lot of good info about that in the spirit world books. But let's crack into the slideshow, buddy. And you guys out there might want to do some screenshotting as we go through this. What we're looking at here, first of all, is a chart out of a book by Godfrey Higgins called Celtic Druids. So right here, I've got a copy of it. Uh, and it turns out that the Kessinger's Legacy Reprint. You may have seen, let me make myself big. You may have seen books with this kind of cover before. 
Uh, they just reprint old rare books. Kessinger's Legacy reprints of Celtic Druids. Why I'm specifically mentioning that this printing is because compared to other old books that I've gotten, the pages are big and the text is blown up. So it doesn't like destroy your eyes to read it. <laughs> it's nice, very nice. Man. So we're looking at, um, this is from the beginning of the book. It is a <laughs> affinity of ancient alphabets between the, so, okay. We're looking at column one here is the name of the Hebrew or Samaritan letters. Samaritan being like a, like a proto language related to the derived from the Phoenician alphabet. So after the second column, Samaritan letters, third column, Chaldee Hebrew letters, the fourth powers of notation, AKA the gematria value, then the Greek in the fifth column. And then uh, important to note is where the asterisks are in column six is showing you the first letters brought to Greece mythologically anyway, by Cadmus from Phoenicia. Then the names of the Greek letters, the names of the Celtic Irish letters. Uh, and so also interesting is the tree correspondence. We could talk about that a little bit. I'm not sure that I like, it's a little different in some of the columns from the tree correspondence than what the moderns claim. So that's kind of interesting, but let's first of all, right here, looking at the Greek to the Hebrew is a very great way to discern how the letters start to swap around, right? So Aleph, A-L-E-P-H, that's your A, and corresponding to the Greek alpha. So right there, it's kind of an anagram, right? It's just instead of an A at the end of like an alpha, there is an E in the middle. Aleph, alpha seems quite obvious. And then uh, interesting is the name of the Irish Celtic letter for the A, which is Aeol. Aelm. Aelm. I don't know exactly how you would say that. Aelm. So yeah. I think it's obvious why Higgins puts that as corresponding to the elm tree, but the moderns actually correspond the uh, A in the Irish alphabet to the pine tree, which is interesting. Maybe because this letter A, it has to do a lot with like strength a lot of times. Uh, think about how the letter A in the capital looks in English. If you flip it upside down, people talk about that a lot, that it is reminiscent of the ox's head, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and I find fascinating that according to modern linguists in terms of the Irish alphabet, this alum letter is actually, they, they're saying that that's the last letter of the Irish Ogham alphabets. So, right. but it's right. like, we're we going right to left or left to right. Which is it? But the, 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 uh, actual way that the letter is written in the Ogham is mm -hmm. the, is an X. So mm -hmm. the X being the, what theoretically the last letter of this Irish alphabet, according to moderns anyway, and being the shape of the X, that's the tau, the final alphabet letter of, of the, Hebrew. You know, the Phoenician, the Hebrew. Yeah. The Greeks, and depending on who you ask, they might put Upsilon at the end, but Tau is, in my opinion, more appropriately to be at the end. The T, the terminus, the boundary line, you know, right. the end. So 
the fact that the it, they're calling it the last letter, the 16th letter of the Agam alphabet, but it's also got the shape of the X, which is the, the tau, the last letter of the other alphabets. Very interesting. Yeah, man. Uh, another thing I always point out about all the, uh, you know, so many of the alphabets put the ox in the front, you know, the, the, the ox in the front of the cart, so to say. Uh, well, well, one thing about that is ox for one, it's, uh, it can be the alpha of many herd animal. Uh, you know, the, the bull can also relate to goats. It can relate to the, the, the sheep in the front. But another thing is to think about the bellwether. I always got to bring up the bellwether. It's always got to come back to the, to the snippy snip. <laughs> the bellwether is the castrated lead herd animal. They castrate that, uh, the alpha male and they put it in front of all the other animals with a bell on its neck. And then it becomes the lead example. And all the other animals just do what the one in front of it does. And so there is something kind of deeply ingrained and kind of herd mentality that is intrinsic to these systems. Uh, and that's just me kind of uh, bringing in the occult connotations behind always having the ox as the front of the alphabet. And I got a, I pulled up Cadmus on my uh, my uh, dictionary of classical mythology. Can I read this real quick? Because it's got a there's a I think there's a pretty fun little mystery in here. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There's a mystery yeah. with Cad, Cadmus. Let's get into that. Yeah. Um, so I'll just read this paragraph. Um, and there's probably I mean, this is like could be a whole show in itself, but we'll just throw it on the table. Uh, and oh man, there's some fun names. Son of Agenor, King of Phoenicia, and Telephasa, uh, Griope, brother of Europa, Celix, and Phoenix. Amongst, oh, excuse me, famous for the search for his sister Europa whom Zeus had carried away, overcame a dragon at Thebes when the, with the assistance of Athena, sowed the dragon's teeth on a plane. Immediately, a company of armed men, or Sparte, sprang up, ready for attack. Cadmus cast a stone into their midst. In the resulting confusion, all but five of the warriors slew each other. The survivors became allies of Cadmus and helped him build Thebes. He married Harmonia, daughter of Aphrodite, and had a son, Polydorus, and four daughters, Agavis, Autonoe, Eno, and Samile. Cadmus was the first to introduce the use of letters into Greece. In Illyria, Cadmus and Harmonia were changed into beautiful spotted snakes per uh, Herodotus in the Theogony. Theogony. And one thing that, uh, one mystery that I find maybe hanging out in that 
is that aspect of he was he he's the the literacy he's the letter carrier and he was married to a musical uh personage uh harmonia is you know harmony and so one thing i ponder with this is have has somewhere along the lines has the cultural nuance of tonality to the language been lost like the language can survive in written form but is there something hidden in the music the musical way that you uh give life to this this written system and i think that there's something kind of beautiful about marrying what we know about letters written and the sing-songiness of those eastern languages uh there could be a lot uh a lot of possibility in that uh in that mythology there Absolutely, man. There's the the name Cadmus tells you a lot about it probably being a mythological character, almost for sure. (laughs) So we'll get into some of the letter switches, but an obvious one phonetically for C is Q, right? Right. So in Hebrew, the Kof Dalet Mem or QDM could mean eastward or to the east. (laughs) <laughs> so this is language is coming from the east right and then just in the like semitic languages in general that qdm uh, typically refers to like something that came before or preceding so he's the first one he came before he's the first one with the letters right so there there's that yeah. <laughs> yeah. and you know looking at some more of these uh names of letters it should be pretty obvious the Hebrew Greek affinity and even the affinity to the, you know, Celtic Irish, but as a good way to start to look at some of the letter swapping that goes on Beth to beta is a perfect example of how the H interchanges with the E and the E makes it sound like an A sometimes. So Beth beta beta, right? That's definitely in there. And yeah, is there any other observations we want to make about that? The I find it interesting too the um elm tree in the Celtic mythology which is being associated by Higgins with the Aleph although, you know, like I said moderns say that the pine tree associates with that that the elm tree according to um, you know, what Google says <laughs> it, it's uh guards over the underworld that it represents oh. places where there's a like an entrance to the underworld available so that's oh. also if they're you know it's the x symbol in right. Ogham. x is the terminus it's the t it's the boundary marker oh it's my like, god that's the you know the terminal point between here and the other side with the elm tree okay 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 all kinds of things all at once i can't i can't i can't uh miss out on the uh qdm um relating to cadmus and also the quarim the uh the uh, the higher self from the islamic faith the quarim is your guardian angel the karen <laughs> the karen yes <laughs> yeah and, so the the it's right? the uh the this entity that reports your behavior back to the uh the demiurge Right. And conceivably, uh, when you plug that into this myth of Cadmus, is that the spirit that animates you when the music gets going, when the harmony is right? 
does your Karim come forth? Is that the, uh, is that inspiration? You know, uh, I wonder, I just wanted to say that I see, uh, what Dylan was throwing down. I love that. And then when you said that it, we're talking about the gateway to the underworld and the pine, um, this will be, uh, I'm pretty sure. Well, it's the elm that's the gateway to the underworld technically. But the oh, pine okay. is what moderns associate with the elm letter of the Celtic Irish. But oh, again, okay. like it seems pretty obvious yeah. elm would be the association if the word is practically elm. But it is right. It's what they say. Well, uh, when you uh, so I, I have a connection to uh, Attis, who I'm pretty sure his island was Cyprus. I'm pretty sure. And Cyprus is where copper gets its name from. And if we're talking about entrances or gateways to the underworld, we're very likely talking about the, the mines, literally underground mines on the island of Cyprus and children being the miners who were uh, expected to go into the small caverns of underground locations for the sake of the copper, the copper industry. And that's something that's been on my radar lately. I'm, I mean, it's kind of a dark thing, but I'm seeing a lot of little hints and innuendos around using children for uh, mining uh, operations. And Atis well, was a, uh, yeah, yeah, and Atis was a youth, an abused youth, uh, who was put on an island and uh, had to earn his way back into the good graces. You know, so that kind of mythology plays on a lot of probably little kids psychology uh, for hundreds of years there. Definitely. And then they even, that makes me think of the uh, Marvel movie guardians of the galaxy, how they portray Peter Quill as having been basically trafficked as a child by these uh, alien pirates who decided to keep him because he was small and could fit into places to steal shit. You know, dude, and he's definitely dude. like the solar hero of that uh, whole thing. Wow, bro. Wow. And his name is Peter Quill. Yeah. Yeah, man. Wow. You nailed that freaking home run. Uh, Dylan says, what about a fir tree, which is a pine? F and S looked interchangeable in the English from a few hundred years ago. Is that the sir or the tur tier tree? Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, the uh, also talking about the terminus element of the x the last letter of the alphabet and the bridge to the underworld the pine is clearly symbolic of that in that it's the evergreen you know according to what i looked into about the pine the druids associated it with the coming of the sun after the winter so that's like the reborn rebirth moment for sure Wow, there's lots of good stuff going on in the chat. Thank you, guys. I'm keeping my eye on it. <laughs> you guys I are know. Amazing comments I'm gonna, here. I'm I'm really looking forward to coming through on the replay. I can see tons of gravy pouring in there. <laughs> so much gravy. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll move forward here in our slides. Now we're looking at, and we might bounce back to the previous slide and this slide and look at them together. But this is just right off of Wikipedia, so. Take it for what it's worth. But here we have the Phoenician alphabet at top, which I think is the most interesting. Because we're learning about letter interchanges, right? 
So our alphabet goes A, B, C. And the Greek goes alpha, beta, gamma, A, B, G. The Phoenician has uh, their whole vowel system, from what I understand or what I'm inferring, it's not super hard and fast about vowels. So they don't really have a corresponding value to the English alphabet between the first letter of the uh, Phoenician alphabet. But if you look at it, it looks like a capital A turned on its side. Totally does. And, you know, here you see the uh, below the the Greek column here, you see the Etruscan, uh, Etruscan, Etruscan, different versions of their alphabet. A lot more mysterious of an alphabet in terms of trying to guess what corresponds to what is probably, you know, maybe a little more shaky because we don't have, we don't know what the actual spoken words were to make a correspondence. but. As you can see, there is what appears to be like an A, B, C thing going on there. A, B, C, D. And then um, the Phoenician has so much similarity to the Etruscan letters down below that it seems, you know, very reasonable to think that there's a correspondence. And that, as Dylan talks about, the Etruscans or the ancient Italians were Phoenician people. They're the same. Why wouldn't they be if they're speaking the same or using the same letters? And here we see the uh, this T with a little dot under it, which actually symbolizes uh, is spoken more as like a TR sound, like true. They didn't put those letters together in the Phoenician alphabets, T and R. So you would they had uh, this circle with the X. There's your terminus. X again. And then the last letter is the X without a circle around it. Uh, so, you know, T, T and X going together, it's like that's the cross, you know, it's just different ver variations or versions of the cross. And there's so much we could actually get into with the uh, cross symbolism related to that. You know, it's the mark on the head, the forehead of the followers of whatever solar religion you might be talking about. But this is a this is a really good little chart, and I think what's helpful about it is to see how in the Phoenician you have A B G, so G and C are clearly interchanging. Then D, and then H, but that's where our letter E would be, and we know in the Greek H and E, the eta in Greek are for sure interchangeable. And then this mysterious digamma, <laughs> or what is uh, transliterated here, the sixth letter as W, but W has a lot of possibilities. So they don't have an F. Uh, and then another weird interchangeability that may arise, uh, you know, in more ancient transcriptions of one language to another. I haven't found any examples of it that I think are solid. So mm -hmm. I don't think I included it in the chart, but like the Phoenician letter Z looks exactly like our letter I, our capital letter I, which I think is very interesting and may lead to future discoveries that we just haven't had the opportunity to pick out yet because it's not not an obvious switch. Yeah, I mean, you know, this thing on the digamma, there's a whole lot to it. Uh, and I think I'm, I might have some of the roots of... Uh, you know, we've, uh, we've talked about this, but just for the for this show, you know, they don't even call it uh, 
they they give it a superstitious name. They're, uh, what I see is they're dancing around it because they even the name Digamma actually means twice three. So even when they say the the letter that eventually fills in for that position, which has a value of six, its name is still twice three. And what I think we might be looking at is the the Pythagoreans. They had a superstition about. Um, not correcting what is an error or not talking about negative things in public places. And so uh, one example of this is in, um, I'm pretty sure it's, yeah, it's Alcibiades, the uh, Socrates dialogue with Alcibiades. He is uh, going to give Alcibiades criticism and he says it in a roundabout way like they do with everything uh, these dialogues but he says because it's just you and I here now uh, I'm going to give you some criticism uh, and that little line is actually a Pythagorean observance of we don't correct one another in a public place we don't speak about things that are potentially negative in a public place we keep them on the private side um, and this is reflected in quite a few other things in Greek, I believe. For example, Hades' name, uh, the, uh, the way that they uh, pronounce and spell his name, they actually skip uh, the, uh, digamma. And so what I think we're looking at is like maybe the reason why certain letters are silent, are kept silent, they're, they're present, but they're not spoken or brought forth on the public side might have a lot to do with just Pythagorean superstition um, in a really weird way. Like, and for example, sex and six are private. They're things that you do the sex on the private side. You don't talk about it and blab about it out in the public. Uh, so that's just kind of a little whiff of what I think we might be seeing is just weird, really weird superstition. And also F sharp, the, this F sharp is the dissonant tone. And so if F sharp has this strange, uncomfortable effect on people, there might be a, uh, I mean, a metaphysical, I'll say a metaphysical reason to keep it on the private side. And uh, to walk around it and call it names other than what it actually is and give it this superstitious digamma designation. It's a dogma of digamma is my theory. <laughs> Man, there's, that, that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think so much about like the f sound being kind of like a lispy S. And then I think about the Spanish and how, you know, the Spanish are Gallic people or Celts and thus also related to the same alphabets. Like Caesar, even in his writings, talks about the Druids or the Gauls, the Celts, having the use of the alphabet, the Latin letters even, I think is what he says. Dylan can correct me because he's in the chat. They either were using the Greek or the Latin letters, but <clears throat> regardless, uh, the the Spanish, right, <laughs> where so much of the epicenter of of inquisitional craziness seems to come out of, maybe even worse than in Rome in a lot, like a lot of ways. Yeah, okay, but yeah, I know you're on this tip. So if the you know if the S and F 
actually do have some correspondence to interchange, which, you know, the mistake of that is the only place where I can see that it's extremely evident is in old English, where the lowercase letter S looks like an F in right. modern alphabets. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, and then also we have the, uh, the P, the letter P is definitely interchangeable with the F sound. You know, right. like pu- the Punic people are also the Phoenician people. So Fen and Pen or what have you. So, you know, if that SF really does swap, the Spaniards could be like the, the Fanyards, you know, <laughs> like the relating again back to the, this phantom, phantom referring to the, the priest class or the temple. Yeah, so I, mean, I want to read a comment, a couple of comments though. <laughs> Thank you for hanging out in the chat, Dylan. You're throwing out some really good stuff. Yeah, he buddy. says the uh, make sure that you point out that a couple hundred years ago it was conceded that the Marciliana tablet, Marciliana, the Etruscan tablet, where this top alphabet here that we're looking at on the Etruscan column is from, it was conceded that that is the oldest Greek abacadarium as well. And there's a 50 cent word for you guys for the night. Abacadarium is an Ooh. artifact that puts an alphabet, like is an engraving with an entire alphabet in order. So wow, helpful, helpful things to find. <laughs> you know, like we were talking about with the rune, the supposed runic uh, abacadariums. And then yeah. uh, Dylan also was on it with uh, the whole Z and I interchange. He reminded me that when we talked to David Matheson and we were talking about gods of thunder, storm gods, Zeus and Jupiter and all the others that wield the Vajra, many others. And he pulled up a piece of pottery with that he was using as an example because the, you know, Zeus in this piece of pottery was in the kneeling position with the Vajra over his head very much. Reminiscent of the way the constellation Hercules is depicted in the night sky. You know, he was using that to demonstrate Zeus and Hercules affinity. But yeah. uh, there were actually Etruscan letters on that piece of pottery. And they were, they looked like in English, I-E-U-S. <clears throat> but that's because the Etruscan, ah, well, the Etruscan letter Z looks like, or the Phoenician letter Z looks like our letter I. Right. So, so there's an example of it, of the I and Z interchanging because it looks like it says use. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Maybe it's not really interchanging, but yeah, that was cool. I like that. You know, uh, one thing uh, I see polymathing, he brought up that the six sided shape of the, you know, the flag of Israel has that six side, the, the rim fan, star of rim fan, star of David, whichever. Well, theoretically, just to, I mean, I'm just spitballing, but what if this is like iconoclasm, you know, that, you know, the Greeks, they slaughtered a swine on the Jewish temple. So the Jewish temple is defiled forever. And therefore, Zeus forever will mean dirty or defiled. Like Zeus is the defiled one. And, you know, one culture thinks that the pomegranate is the fruit of, uh, of knowledge or the fruit of evil. And the other culture thinks the pomegranate is the fruit of wisdom and good things, you know, uh, a good omen. So I wonder if the six is anti-Greek is, you know, uh, kind of iconoclasm. 
that would be like, okay, we're down with the six only because the Greeks were afraid of the six, you know, just a thought, mm. just kind of spitballing there. And I know there's a lot of intermarrying and interbreeding and they're not, they don't all hate each other, but I'm just thinking that maybe there's something going on with the like, Oh, you you don't like the six. Well, that's our thing. And then, you know, with the Christians, it's like, Oh, you don't like the pentagram. Well, that's now that's our thing. We're going to do the pentagram. If it's going to keep you away, I'll put pentagrams all over myself. You know what I mean? Well, we can't, for, we can't leave out, you know, maybe the world's most famous six pointed symbol. <laughs> Actually, me and uh, Jennifer have been talking about this, really her pointing out, you know, the differences between the symbol of the Star of David and the cross and how, you know, the when you think of it astrologically, the Mm -hmm. Star of David with its six points and, you know, two triangles, it merged together is creating like a lot, uh, a lot of trines. So astrologically, it's like, a symbol about claiming the easy blessings, <laughs> you know, right? right. Claiming yeah. all the, the, all the blessings from all directions and just everything coming easy. You know, right. it, this is just a thought experiment. And then mm-hmm. the cross is like squares, 90 degrees, angles of sorrow, taking, you know, the, extracting the value out of the challenge. And when right. you look, you know, you look at kind of the puritanical work ethic, idea versus you know the the (laughs) financial uh banking in on paper types of ways of making money right one is extracting the value out of difficulty and one is extracting value out of like you know getting other people to do the difficult work (laughs) so those two symbols are kind of something there so that might have something to do with the the six idea right. as well that it it could be that it was maybe like uh, this is all just high octane speculation right but that the mm-hmm. the hex of the sex if you will could possibly pertain to being averse to usury priestcraft mercantile you know wealth extraction systems that yeah. had been making their rounds or you know and that <laughs> some people were key, were were hip to that, and they sort of symbolically were encoding that it was an undesirable route to livelihood. I don't know. Yeah, man, I see it. I totally see it. You know, uh, man, there's a lot there. Uh, so the the flag of Israel. By the way, for the record, you know, the state of Israel is not the nation of Israel. So there's right there, we have a huge deviation going on. Like oh people, yeah. Also religions are not ethnicities. Exactly. There's so much, <laughs> so, yeah, there's so the much, day, to, guys. so much to parse out, but so that flag, you know, it's got the two lines, one above one below par- uh, parallel lines with the two triangles in the middle. Well, for one, that's a, that is very much a Masonic, Masonic tracing board, which they used to put on the ground Face it to the east, you got two pillars and you got the, the thing in the middle. But also those two lines, uh, you fuse them into the stars or the triangles and, and it will yield the earth, wind, fire and air. Right. Take action on the square. Very Masonic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah those insights are thanks to beautiful wifey, Jenny G. Thank you. Yeah, Jenny. Big love. 
but yeah, but just that's a great point. I love the uh, that the other one is ninety degrees times four. Ninety four is uh, plutonium. That's a uh, number nine on my enneagram. Interesting enough, Hades, god of the underworld, the Platonic realm of forms. In fact, uh, he's Plato in the symposium. That number nine. And uh, idle, he's idle, he's stillness, the number nine in the Enneagram, slothful, stuck in place, big fat tulpa. All right, what, what's next? All right, well, next, uh, bringing up again the Phoenician or the Punic alphabet, just wanted to put this in a side by side comparison with the Hebrew, the Greek, and uh, the runic alphabet. Now, I don't know that there there is like an it, it, uh, official order of the Futhark alphabet. That's actually where Futhark comes from is the order, it, starting with the F, you know, R, T, yeah. et cetera. But if you put the runic alphabet in the A, B, C, D, E, F, G order, you, you do see that there is some level of affinity between the letters. You know, the especially looking at the like the b rune uh, very similar the c rune looks actually like a tilted over uh phoenician uh, gimel right uh-huh. so you know this is just for this is just for interest right even like the phoenician d or daleth is like half of a runic d Right. It's not one to one between every letter throughout the whole thing. But if you look at this closely, I think that there's enough similarity to conjecture and affinity between the systems. And especially when you consider, as Dylan pointed out uh, in a previous conversation about this, how the letter Rho, which is the Greek R, looks like a P. So it is not completely out of the realm of possibility that a transcription error where something was being called Punic would actually transliterate accidentally to runic. You know, that's not a, that's not outrageous of a claim <laughs> at all. So I just wanted to put these all side by side together, you know, for, for posterity, <laughs> for interest. Even like, <laughs> look at the runic X rune. It looks like an upside down T, <laughs> you know, back to the whole Tav X weave we were just on. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, and the R looks the same or similar, similar enough. There's, I think there's a there, there. That's all I'm saying. I think there's a there, there. And it, uh, isn't it funny how like we use the, uh, we still say, uh, you know, are you fluent in this language? Are you fluent in that language? And, uh, you know, the people that we call, I like, you know, I like to call them elitists, like wannabe elites. <laughs> they are also synonymous with affluent. They have affluence. And so, uh, so many things, you know, I think about uh, the more languages that you know, you know, the more uh, success you can experience no matter where you go. You know, these world travelers, it's kind of, it's kind of part of the par for the course is to be able to, you know, transition from one language to the next with as little uh, difficulty as possible. Yeah. Crossing over the multiverse. I think that is a great weave. You pointed out that knowledge of multiple alphabets or languages is the multiverse. I mean, it's right right there in the word, right? Right. 
Yep. It's and a lot more a, plausible than uh, invisible alternate realities somehow. Right. Touching right. this one. And the, the, another great, I mean, there's so many superior metaphors for the multiverse, but another one we've touched on this in the uh, demystifiers is uh, that lies, the uh, navigating the world of lies, which is the blackmail industry, which is also equity, which is the wilderness. If you know the lies, then you can walk in a parallel dimension. Um, And that's just something else to think about that lies generate uh, parallel realities very quickly. And some people can, uh, you know, have the keys to that whole maze in and of itself. So that's something to consider. (laughs) That's so true, man. The lies are where complexity spirals out of, honestly. Right. Which is why you got to chase down little details because that's what kills the lie. Yes. Oh, man. Okay. And we've talked about this in the tele chat today, but um, there's a term I just learned today called Clio dynamics. Clio is the muse of history. Uh, She is depicted often with a scroll, specifically the uh, Thucydides history of the Peloponnesian war. And she has a horn on her hip. Those are the, the two symbols of Clio. And this term uh cleo dynamics is uh how history changes the uh the inevitable rise and fall of empires uh and there's a whole field of research with that but what it brought up in my mind was the cleonian lion skin and i know some people call it the nemean lion skin there's another term for it but i like the cleonian lion skin because it might imply that its wearer is educated they're, they got the cat on their shoulder. They're educated. They got their 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 little uh, whatever, their merit. They're wearing their merit on their sleeve. But they also, if it's the Cleonian, does that mean that they know the true history? That they actually know uh, how to speak all of these different ciphers, uh, many tongues. They can read and write in uh, other cultures. And they know the interweaving of all of the treatises that these wars have initiated so that they're a master of international law as a result. Just a thought. I'm going to read a couple of good comments from our chatters too. So another Dylan comment is the Phoenicians called Saturn, AKA Kronos by the name Israel, according to Porphyry cited by Eusebius. That's a big weave. (laughs) That's a big weave. Saturn called Israel. We'll leave that there for now. And then James Kaplan. Thank you, James. He says, if we use today as an example, everybody in the world says English is the language of commerce because of Great Britain and USA. So I can see the Phoenicians being that language in ancient times. Yeah, dude, (laughs) exactly. There's a modern precedent to it. Like everybody's got English. That's why it's the commerce language, right? Exactly. And then uh, Iku Studies says Phoenicians were sea people. They mined tin to make bronze. Only places to find tin were Cornwall, England, and Arabia. So Cornwall was easier. Very, very good. I mean, what's the name of that island? Great Britain. <laughs> yep. Also, the uh, the top G of the Etruscans was Tinia or Tinia. Spelled T I N. And tin is the ore 
pertaining to Jupiter, who's also Zeus, who's also the top G, Job, Yov, Jehovah, Yahweh, etc. So, <laughs> yeah, the 10, 10 will take you places. What, what, wait, what's the, uh, what's the symbol for 10 in Roman numerals? 10 as in the number? X. The X marks the spot, baby. So yeah, right, very good, right. very good weave there, Iku. It's all about the 10. <laughs> it's all about the X, triple X. <laughs> Thrice great. Awesome. Very good. All right. So this next slide, if you were going to screenshot one, this is a really good one because I would call this the master key right here. Oh, yeah. Here it is. The master key. Although I will okay. say this is not like the end all be all. There's probably other swaps. I did my best to fit it all into one screen, you know, mm -hmm. a little hard to do. Uh, and actually Dylan already pointed out one to me and we'll get into that, but buddy, let's, uh, let's see if we can throw out some examples for, you know, as many of these as we can, maybe going in order. If that sounds good. Um, yeah, man. I have some slides following that get into the more common ones like BPV, GCK and all that. But yeah, and this is where I really want some uh, input from y'all chatters out there. So, yeah, Booty Yoga just said Ja, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, one of the names for yay, yeah, ya, yeah, yes, the supreme being, Jupiter, et cetera. Jupiter, the, uh, the god, not the planet. But yeah, B and P. So an example of B and P would be maybe like Bali and Pali, P-A-L-I-B-A-L-I. -L -L -I. That's a really good one. Or the uh, Pelasgi, Belasgi. Those are some examples. I'm trying to think of something, uh, you know, I, I couldn't comprehensively come up with examples for all these and also get other slides made. So um, I know that all these are valid though, and I've come across them. Um, yeah, <clears throat> Palestine Nepal. There's a Palestine in Nepal, booty yoga. That's a good one. Pali is pertaining to wisdom, like Pallas Athena, but Bali, you know, in the uh, Pala, Pule, all these words, Pallas, they pertain to the head, the, the top, wisdom, the crown, like Keter. And uh, even in the Bible, there's a verse where Jehovah says, thou shalt no longer call me Bali with a B. So I think whenever we're looking at, um, you know, the B to P, one of the most useful versions of that would be like, even in names of Buddha, right? Buddha is bud, you know, that's the root B-U-D, but uh, the P and B switch and D and T switch. So you get like Po or Pot. Those are also versions of uh, name of Buddha. So there's some examples of the B and P switch up and the B to the B to the V is an obvious one. There's even a word for it. It's beticism. And so in uh, this really comes from the Greeks more than anywhere that in the modern, the modern Greek speaker, their letter beta, they pronounce as a V. So like where we were saying boostrophodon to talk about right to left writing instead of left to right writing. They would actually say Vustrophodon, Vustrophodon. So right. they, they are currently, the modern Greek speakers are currently doing the B to V switch in their own alphabet. They're writing the letter B and saying the sound. So there's yeah. a, that's a big one. Um, 
Yeah, you want to chime in on any of these? We'll we'll do our best to take a swing and uh, grab a lot of the examples that come to mind out of this particular set of cipherins. <laughs> Man, like uh, I just think of uh, Blavatsky just keeps coming to mind, you know. Uh, Pleb Botsky would be like the Pleans, you know, the commoners accessible to commoners. What's this, Budweiser? Budweiser. Yeah, that's uh, so true. Yeah, that's so true. Budweiser <laughs> is a Tautology. Tautology. Yeah, that's a, a Buddha reference. They do this, though, with products. Like, it's been going on. Yeah. And I think about Palestine. Uh, is it actually Baal? You know, Baal-estein, the stones of Baal. Because uh, he was the regional god before the Israelites moved along. Okay, so Dylan just says, I'm leaving out something with Vustrofodon. It's actually both directions, right to left, left to right, alternating line to right. line. I didn't know that. See, I don't know everything, guys. I need y'all. Yeah, I think <laughs> Thank it, you. It, Learning. It, like it literally means like as the ox plows, right? And uh, that's... That's actually like a ziggurat is uh, it's designed. So, you know, it has those angles where it like kind of slants back and forth and back and forth. The ziggurat is the, you know, the shape of that tower of Babel. And I've always thought of, and sure enough, it is there in the Middle East where Bostrophodon was the, uh, one of the last cultures that used Bostrophodon. Uh, and I'm a little rusty on who it is. Uh, but but the tower, that's where we're told that the Tower of Babel was located in the Middle East. So when the tower collapsed, it would have collapsed off to the west and out to the east in two directions. Well, sure enough, the languages of the east, they move their language from the east to the west back towards the source of the Tower of Babel. In languages in the west, their language moves from the west out to the east so that it's almost as though our language is coming back together to rebuild the tower. And that's the metaphor that uh, I just remember picking up somewhere along the lines. So the one that I left out, well, one that I left out, maybe not the one, perhaps there's more, but uh, Dylan texted me this one about the letter G or G U specifically switching with W and with B. So an example yes. would be like, that's a French thing. It's a French thing. Yeah. Uh, like think about the word while and guile. Yes. Wily and guilely. And then uh, this one, he wants you to get onto the uh, the temple bar because oh, okay. he, he pointed out the, uh, you know, an alternate name for William is Guillermo. Guillermo. And also, so the will and the G-U-I-L-L, that's yeah. a swap. And then Bill is an alternate version of will. Right. And then uh, Guerre, like gorilla G U E R R E is Mm -hmm. the word for war. Yes. Then bar is a swap. Evidently that you see in a word like barracks. Yes. So So whenever we're talking about the, uh, the temple bar, they're, they're flying the Admiralty maritime law war flag of the United States, right at the courts. So the bar is the bar association is the war association. What do you think? Totally. It absolutely is. 
before I forget, uh, a really good one is Winnipeg and Guinepig. Uh, and because they are French, um, and sure enough, there were tons of experiments pop out of uh, Winnipeg. Um, I think there was a kid, uh, it was on a Jordan Peterson recently. He interviewed a woman, uh, and she was talking about one of the foundational cases of uh, where the doctors accidentally damaged a child's uh, penis in a in a surgery, and took make up for it the the doctor was just like hey we could just cut this thing off and you could tell him he was a girl all along and they changed his name and everything and then the doctors came and they like lauded it like it was a total success story they just convinced the kid he was a, a girl and that that is a horrible case but it took place in winnipeg and when you switch the, the, the w to a g it becomes guinea pig it's so fascinating uh sometimes the way uh, there's like this truth hiding out in the story, whispering like right under people's radar. And if they have this phil- philological uh, uh, lock picking kit, they can see a much deeper level happening right in front of their face. But um, so, yeah, yeah. What you just pointed out is I love this, this is why I love yeah. you as a collaborator, because <laughs> you can't this stuff doesn't you don't miss this stuff. <laughs> and so I think this what you're describing could be something people have experienced throughout all ages that were paying attention and that had wisdom and that the, <laughs> that those little things like Guinea pig, Winnipeg, I doubt that that was like a plan, you know, some nefarious being planned, <laughs> some human being planned to do that to that child in that city because the it doctors, was all a big joke. But the doctor's name was Dr. Money. <laughs> It's like so a little the, the way that stuff like that comes through language, synchronicities like that come through language, in my opinion, could be a reason why the mediator, the Mercury, the Hermes, you know, Jesus, the word of God, all these yeah. be, um, savior deities or specifically mediators, as in they're the ones that are your go between between you and the top God, that why would the word be the mediator between us and God? Because God creates this world and the stories that the world is made out of through letters and numbers in, in some amazing and uh, incomprehensible fashion. I mean, that's my personal philosophy. I think that yeah, man. that's why what we're doing right now in this type of work is, in my opinion, even if we get very logical and hyper left brained how we examine it and try to be as, you know, chase down leads with as much impunity <laughs> as possible. <laughs> that, uh it's still spiritual work, man. Cause like the yeah, more you buddy. open your horizons to see what connects to what, the more you will catch, the more you get the joke, you know? And I think, uh, the, the author of this, of this realm, as Dante calls it, the divine com- comedy is hilarious. The author of this <laughs> existence is hilarious. <laughs> I totally agree. Dark totally humor agree. and lighthearted humor, all types of humor. It's just constantly well, funny. Oh yeah, man. Like, there are so many examples that's like one of the most gratifying thoughts I have is, you know, uh, a lot of what we do to kind of make it left brain, it, it turns it into a conspiracy and it must have an explanation. Maybe there's a grand cabal behind it all, or there's something really fascinatingly metaphysical that has an amazing sense of humor uh, behind it all. I love that weave. Um, one example is like, 
punish, you know, well, P, you do, P is the phallus in a thousand million ways. And then the rest of it is eunuch, P, P eunuch. <laughs> it's the P eunuch. And the, the, all of this punishment is uh, just kind of uh, fascinating how Freudian the realm truly is. Uh, uh, whether you are into Freud or not, the realm does work in very uh, strangely Freudian ways. So back to the matter at hand. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, some of the letter swaps in here that we're going to explore a lot in column A in a few, few future slides, but uh, that F to V, F to W switch, that is really coming in the form of the digamma being in the sixth letter column. Uh, for sure, uh, G and J, that's an obvious one, is phonetic. The J sound. And, you know, if you listen to yourself talk, you might even slur your words a little bit sometimes and make a K sound when you meant G, the G, K switch. So that one's pretty evident. Um, G to F, I might need to look if I can find a good example of that. But uh, do you see any popping off this list that you want to give example to? Uh, yeah, the... Um, well, one thing that I find is sometimes uh their gam their gematrological value uh is uh is an interesting thread like the c the k and if i'm correct i have to look yeah c and k are both three and septenary i'm not sure where q is um but yeah, sometimes their gematrological value is actually a direct uh, tie-in. Um, and oh, L and R is a crucial one, man. That is such a big one. Uh, that's probably the most socially well-known. Like, you know, a lot of people, just at surface level, uh, uh, you know, 101 philology, they're like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's a, but it is so rewarding uh in so many ways it's probably the most common but um it's also it's just funny that it's left and right you know it's uh you they're both hands they are both your hands your left and your right left and right foot they're the same thing they're just uh on one side and the other and then the other most common is the m to the w you know the mater of the matter of the water of the matrix of the way of things let's see I'm going to uh, read from read a couple of examples that come out of Spirit World, A God's Acre for Winds of the Soul, fourth book of Dylan's Spirit World series. You can catch the audiobook narrated by me if you're interested in that. Mm -hmm. So uh, the H to F interchangeability is one you see between Spanish and Latin, as in hacer, which is to do, and facere which also means to do. So facer, hacer, there's a good example. And then uh, another one is the, and I didn't even cut, like get this in the list, but he points out that <clears throat> in Saxon, the L was aspirated with H. So the word loaf, for example, was hlaf with a at the beginning of it. Wow. And 
So you see that also, uh, I'm just going to read this paragraph right here. The words loop and louve are the same as flow and fluve. So there's the a, uh, F going in front of the L as well. The Greek digamma being replaced by F. The uv uv combination is equal to W. So fluve is where flow comes from. Um, you also see, yeah, it's good. <laughs> we'll, we'll, I'm going to leave it there. But th- that book in particular is probably what, you know, really <laughs> changed the way that I looked at language forever. Uh, that's, I would definitely start there if you haven't checked out any spirit world books and, but you're pretty hip to astro theology and law and stuff. Uh, all of them are good. I don't even, I don't want to say skip the first three, but God's acre for winds of the soul kind of stands on its own and will give you tons of great examples of some of this, uh, philology. Like here's a good one. I'm just kind of scrolling through this book right here. Potato comes from its Indian form. Batata. So batata, is it potato, batata? <laughs> yeah, so there's a P to the B interchange. Really good one. And I don't want to just like pick only examples out of this book, but uh we could just go through <laughs> the chapter that this is from and there would be a nonstop gravy about this. That's right. a lot of uh chapter two and chapter one. Most maybe chapter two has a lot of that. It's an amazing you know, book and says, it is. You wrote it. Good job. And if you buy <laughs> the audio book, you're supporting me too. So that's right. Totally crushing. So, so one that stands out uh, right now is the J becomes the I has the Y sound uh, because, you know, J is a late arrival to the alphabet. But one thing that is kind of funny is how like Ayuda, which is, you know, Judah in Latin, that means helper. <laughs> to ayuda me is help me and i just find that so fascinating that uh the name of an entire nation of people can be like synonymous with helpers you know uh there's probably a lot of uh cultural mirth behind that little fact right there So the uh, another one that I might not be super solid on, but I think it's there. Yeah, it's just like we would have to be, it'd be a little harder to find examples of maybe if it if it's an accurate one. I'm just going to throw it out there that maybe this one is a little trickier, but the letter H interchanging with N or N with H, that is like if we back up a few slides, that's going to be something I'm deriving largely out of. Well, not these alphabets, but the uh, the old Italian, the Oski or the Oskin is where you really see that. Like, let me have it in Wikipedia here. It's not on the slideshow. So here we go. So, yeah, if you look down here in the uh, 5th century Etruscan or Italian alphabet, the Oskin, the, their letter for N looks just like an H. And... If we get into like the uh, Proto-Sinai scripts, you kind of see that happening uh, again. So here's one of the versions of the letter H, uh, but it looks actually it's an, apparently in the Cyrillic alphabet, that's an I. So uh, it's like a, you know, a reversed N. 
you see what I'm looking at there? Yeah, <laughs> so, that's that's trippy. Yeah, so I think that there's some stuff there too. You know, Cyrillic is like the the Greek ver, the version of Greek where I if I if I'm not mistaken, Russian takes its alphabet from uh-huh. later down the line. So there's more, you know, there's a lot more gravy to drive out of looking into like Russian sources. Like that's a huge fucking country and we barely even touch that stuff, but largely because the uh like the their alphabets aren't as old. You know, if you go back to where their alphabets derive from, you're still finding your way to the Phoenician stuff. So, you know, kind of focus on what is the oldest that we have the ability to look at. So, right. You know, I was thinking about that word Siberia and it's got the Iberia in it again. Oh yeah. And then the Rus, R-U-S. Yeah. Well, that's backwards. Sir, sir is the capital of Phoenicia. Totally. Totally. (laughs) Yeah, and you know what that kind of you know what that kind of comports to uh, the idea of like the languages from the west moving to the to towards the middle, and the languages from the east moving towards the middle. And in the uh, in the city of Tyr, it runs this direction, but in the other direction, it's Rus. It's the opposite. So they're coming together towards the uh, towards that Tower of Babel metaphor which is not historical it totally ahistorical but it's a good metaphor oh man and the tower though is a great thing to consider because like uh, mario has been doing the series on the tower yes he's done a couple of videos on he's like really into mars lately or during airy season and he's talking Uh about the tower different tarot cards of the tower oh and and uh, tor like t-o-r-r-e tor is the uh, I think French spelling of tower. So yeah, yeah man. You know, the vowels swap out really easily. So like tier, tier being Mars, uh-huh. and tower, the the Mars card, right? Yes, very good weave there. And tur, and then Mars. I think, in my opinion, before being named the the name of uh, the planet Mars, I uh-huh. believe Mars is the name of the sun. Previously, right, uh, right. and like that whole concept of the most high, well, the tower goes up to the top and then mm-hmm. we're talking about Tor, which is Tyr, which is Sir, the Phoenician capital, the top of Phoenicia and uh, the sun in India is Surya. Right. You know, uh, and we've, we've kind of slid this over to uh, when Dylan was on in the past, but like 16 fundamental levels and 16 is the tower. Tower of Babel, that's where the all the all the language, the one world language. So that 16 in the tower is, you know, these are the fundamental building blocks. But one more thing on that. Uh, uh, 16 is the number for sulfur. Uh, and this is uh, bringing to light the fact that the story of your life is what's going to save you, is your savior. And it's not so much like the. Uh, it's not always all about the sign or the sun worship. In many aspects, it's the sign worship. And these written words are going to be the book of your life. That's all. That's going to outlast you. So that becomes your salvation. Is you hope that people speak kindly of you when they put you in signs in the signs of the of the letters of the stories of your life. I love that, and yeah, and also the. Uh, savior or the mediator, you know, 
being symbolic of the written language, that's what carries forward wisdom too. Of course, we'll say that again and again. I'm going to move us forward in some slides. So this is a slide just about how vowels, pretty much all vowels could potentially interchange. A great quote about this from William Betham in his book, Etruria Celtica, investigating uh, antiquities of Etruscan literature from 1842. The spelling with an O instead of an I is nothing for the vowels are not the bones of a word, but merely the filling. The ancient Gael of Ireland used vowels A for E indiscriminately in spelling. The old Etruscans had no O, so U was a substitute. Besides, the Romans spelled their Janus, or whose Janus, from ear, and might easily commit such an error. So more context about that quote, he's actually talking about that Janus is Oanes. Oh, because of all the reasons just given, that if the J and the I could interchange, then Janus is only one letter away from Oanes, right? <laughs> one letter away, the O becoming a J isn't actually that crazy when you uh, look at it from this perspective. And now I have here uh, the four-letter name of God in the Hebrew, the Tetragrammaton. And at the bottom is the modern Hebrew spelling. And then uh, at the top is the Phoenician version of the Tetragrammaton. Yes, they had it. <laughs> the Phoenician Tetragrammaton. It's the same four letters, just different alphabet uh, writing style, but they had the same meaning and they had practically the same name for the letters. So the yad he vav the Hebrew name of God, can transliterate as a, a multiplicity of different four-letter words, Y-H-V-H or I-E-U-E, U, or J-E-U-E, Jew, or J-O-V-E, Jove, or J-E-W-E, Jew, or I-E-V-E, Yeve. So, and in my opinion, this is one of the best examples of how the language is concealing the fact that the, uh, you know, the three in one doctrine, Trinity doctrine is referring to the mother being the father and being the son simultaneously. They're all one being. Mm-hmm. And you see it right there in uh, you, Eve, Jove, Jehovah. And uh, then the four letters of the word we call today as Hebrew are Aleph, Beth, Resh, and Yod. And those letters transliterate as O-B-R-I, I-B-R-I, A-B-R-Y, A-V-R-O, and more. So the Hebrew is also the Obri or the Ebri. And in my opinion, this is where you get the Iberian Peninsula of Spain, Abury of England, and possibly the, even the Irish name O'Brien. Uh, oh. So all vowels interchange, especially when you're dealing with an alphabet like Hebrew that didn't even have vowels to begin with. Wow. Oh, O'Brien, that is really interesting. It's like the brothers of the seven. And oh, Dylan oh. says the Phoenicians called Ireland Oberne. O-B-R-N-A-E. Oberne. Wow. Pretty close to O'Brien in my opinion. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. That is cool. And this, uh, you know, 
just from like a free association looking at the shape. Yeah, real quick, I want to address PK's question. Were the Phoenicians Jewish or the Jews descendants of them maybe? So that's all depending on like what we mean by Jew because in the way this question, no, not to, I'm not nitpicking at you, but the way this question is worded is inferring or implying that Jew is a something you can be descended from, but it's not, it's a religion. It's not an ethnicity. <laughs> it's a choice, right? It's a, it's a religion. So in the sense that the, the Jews, the, the Jews are Phoenician in the sense that they are using a similar alphabet. It's a similar priestcraft. It's uh, you know, the, right. there's definitely a line of descent there, but I think maybe the, you know, the mod, like the Jews of the more modern times in the last several hundred years are, kind of piggybacking on a system that already existed and then claiming that it's their own, which is the same game that then Rome played with Christianity, piggybacking on a previously existing network and system and then claiming it's their own original thing and uh, doing their damnedest to hide all evidence to the contrary. I think both sects have been guilty of both things. Right. And another thing says though, Phoenicians were European Celtic, German, Gaulish. The language is not Semitic. Not that a Semite is even a real thing. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> so, yeah, and, there you go. And in, in terms of like the blood thing or whatever, inheritance, you know, there's 12, there are 12 different deviations of that in within all of these categories, which just makes a mad scramble out of things. But, you know, we've, uh, we've established that tribe is an anagram for birth, you know, so there's that, uh, all of that is, uh, makes it uh, infinitely more complicated. Uh, so yeah, there's something to be said about the um, how umbrella categories uh, just uh, utterly complicate things. Almost uh, in that makes everything into its own uh, multiverse in a strange way. But yeah, when you got twelve different tribes, then the uh, the homogenizing becomes really convoluted. Okay, so I have a couple slides with more examples. Trying to have fun with it. <laughs> oh man, the um, for some reason it didn't translate the bold letters. I tried to make the relevant words bold in my PowerPoint. They are. How dare you, Streamyard? Somehow I lost <laughs> the bold. It almost makes me want to just change how I'm sharing it so we can have the bold. That's just the kind of guy I am. I'm going to share it this way. <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> Let me get that up. Yeah, you. Uh, no, yeah. you guys are smart enough. I'm not going to fuck with it. All right. So here's some examples of B and P and V interchanging. Latin word for wine is vino, and in Spanish, one of the ways you can say wine is vino, and in Greek, the word pino is to drink. And we've all probably had wine before that they call pino. Right. It's a drink. Wine grows on the vine. So right there in just that little paragraph, you see BPWV all happening at once right there. Nice. And in Sanskrit, (laughs) Venus means Venus. Venus means to love Venice. Venice, like Venice, Italy. (laughs) That's what it makes me think of. And uh, so the M and W switch 
for sure is a thing between Sanskrit and Latin. Don't know about other areas where that might occur, but it definitely happens there. In Sanskrit, madhya is wine. If you swap the M to the W and the D to the T, then madhya is watya. Sounds like water. Makes me think of gods of love turning water into wine. Okay, so then on the second column we have Vatuto bene. It's Latin for everything is going well or everything is fine. So bene is, <laughs> you know, that's very similar to vino. Bene, vino. See what I'm getting at there? The And so if everything is going well, <laughs> if you're drinking wine, everything's fine, right? <laughs> right. Even also, BN, BN water BN. that you drink, Pinot, is drawn from a well. And this uh, war, you know, wars happen on, on the seas, right? That's how troops get around. Mars, war, MW switch. Bell means war. War, mm-hmm. you know, war is where fell deeds are done. Bell to fell. Right. Also, I thought it was fun just to say bulls make fools out of the unprepared. <laughs> and bulls are uh, warlike, bell, right? Bulls are mm-hmm. aggressive, angry. But uh, make sure that you know the difference between bell and bella, because bella is handsome or pretty or charming, beautiful. Makes me think of um, fanatic, you know? To be a fanatic is to have obsessive love uh, and even to venerate, you know, that's another vein to, to love. Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh fan that's like right out of the phantom referring to the priesthood. So the, right. fanat- the priests are the fanatics. <laughs> right. Right. It makes me think I, of the, uh, you know, another God of wine and possibly even a God of love in a sense is, Bacchus. Bacchus okay. has the mystic fan of Bacchus that yes. is used to purify the grain from the mm-hmm. harvest. Uh, you know, another one that's interesting, let me make sure I got the spelling right, although spelling with ancient names of of uh, old gods is a bit a uh, joke anyway, but let's see. One aspect of the fan is like, you know, the king has his servants next to him. They're literally fanning him. Yeah. Swooning, swooning over him with, with their fans. So I've talked about this one before. Yeah. Dylan says phantom is temple or religious edifice. Right. And then if you're outside the temple, you're pro phantom profane. Now, uh, We've talked, I've talked about this particular one before, but I'll try to start from the beginning. So uh, the word for fire in Latin is igni, right? Like an igneous rock. It's one that comes from melty, 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 hot fire time. <laughs> and then in, uh, in Sanskrit, the word for the god of fire is agni. So Latin, igni, fire, god of fire, agni, uh, there's so many more connections to this weave, but Agni is also, you know, associated with rams or lambs, rides a ram. You know, that's uh, this fire purity weave that goes on. Like Agni pertains to sacrifices and you sacrifice the ram or the lamb. Uh, yeah. And also in the word change, 
And I also think about how like bulls are also commonly sacrificed, right? What's another word for bull is Angus. And Angus is very close to Agni, in my opinion. The Druids were actually super into sacrificing bulls. Uh, Maybe this is a throwback to the age of Taurus because they're maybe a bit of an older element of the tradition or whatever. But I found out today that in Irish mythology, Angus is one of the Tuatha de Danann. Tuat, that's Toth, Thoth. Yeah. <laughs> and he's probably originally a god associated with love, the god of love and poetic inspiration. So there you yeah. have it again, like Agni, Igni, god of love. Oh, yeah. And the, uh, the Romish church calls the Lamb of God or Jesus the Lamb, Agnes Day. Lamb and God. So, to me, <laughs> to me, it yeah. seems quite obvious because, like, the, God is love. They say that all the time, and in the doctrine, Jesus is God or the Son of God. So, you know, He's the God oh, of love. Man. Is He not? Isn't There's it? no other gods before Him. So, He's the right. God of everything. So, He's also the God of love. So, yeah, Irish have Agnes or uh, Angus, God you of know, love. All of that brings up Vulcan for me very much, the God of the volcano. Um, as well, um, because of the gift giving, he's the maker of uh, innovation and contraptions. Um, but this is kind of cool. There's a f- there's actually uh, I'm beginning to hold space for. Oh, isn't Brigid- Bridget like a, a Vulcan Brig- type? You got it, Bridget. Oh, Angus is the husband of Bridget, according to the Scots. There we go, man. So <laughs> so she's like the Lady Vulcan, and she's down in February where we have. Valentine's Day, and there's the Val again, and this is also a like a, a voluntary, you know, to a, a votive offering, uh, somebody that you're attracted to, you are you desire to give to them. Hmm. So there's something else to be said about the volcano and the volunteer and the giving. Oh, and the bowl is the uh, offering. Offering. You mm-hmm. volunteer. Yeah. 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 And then I found a good example when I was just looking at Angus real right here, found a good example of uh B B becoming F because I didn't cover that off. Like at least give one example. The, this guy Angus <laughs> is the, uh, in Scotland's folklore, he's the husband of Bridget and his, his mother is Beira, Beira, Beira the fairy queen of winter. So fairy, Farah, fay, Bera, you know, F and B seems to me like that's a good example of a a swap. Yep. Yep. She's carrying. She's the bearer of. (laughs) There you go. Good stuff. Okay. We'll get into another slide. I like this one. All right. So we're looking at some uh, GCQ interchangeability. So Gimel Lamed. GL or gal in Old Testament Hebrew means a heap of stones. And in the New Testament, Golgotha, where Jesus is crucified, is the place of the skull. So gal, gol, and kol, as in the skull, are all right there. And uh, your, your, your skull is like a stone, for sure. And then now we have the uh, the Gales, the Gauls, and the Galatians, 
were all Celtic tribes. You look that up and uh, Gaul and Kel are the, it basically interchangeable words, admittedly, by the mainstream status quo. So perfect example of G and C. I feel like G and C and Q and K interchangeability is such an easy, obvious one. Like you should be looking for that one all over the place. It's one of the most solid, <laughs> one of the most solid. Absolutely. Uh, you might find a skull at a graveyard. The Druids had a peculiar custom of burying people near their temples. According to Godfrey Higgins, the churches of the Druids were called Kill or Kel. Yeah. This was house or temple of Kel. And as the temple at first consisted solely of a circle of stones, the word came to mean stones. And then here, just to like really make it, uh, bring it home, Kof Hey Lamed or Q E L or Q A H A L, Kel or Kahal in the Hebrew is a congregation or a synagogue. So if they're calling their congregations where their churches are Kel and the Druids are calling them Kel, you think maybe there was a pre-existing system of Ecclesia and maybe they already had this bullshit tithes and taxes and priestcraft, whatever going on. I'm not saying there was nothing ever good about that system and that no one was ever helped by it, but like, you know, We've seen where we've seen where altruism it leads the public good, public health. We've seen it all too close up recently, and right. that's where it goes. It, you know, it goes yeah. to uh, it, it goes to everybody gets brought down to the lowest denominator. Not everyone gets brought up to crush. So right. I'm not saying there's no, no benefit to like congregating or synagogues or whatever, but I feel like right here this Kel and Kel Hebrew and you know, the Druid word mm-hmm. is such a solid weave to show you that they, that's like some, that's some headshot, pun intended, evidence of the pre-existence of the system that the Romish church just piggybacked on and claimed to be original. But like they were able to set up that huge empire because it was already all, all the network was already there. They just, yeah. you know, the, the corporation just changed hands. That's what I think. So big stuff there. I just looked into uh, Thomas Hobbes a little bit, uh, who is the, the patriarch of the social contract. And it turns out like you read his social contract in the time and it reads something like, uh, I promise to have no uh, self sovereignty and give up all of my decision-making and willpower. As long as you promise to, and we will both thereby give it on to this King. And the king, that's, you know, we're not even remotely close to a monarchical system anymore, but people still use the phrase, the social contract. It's like we're not even in remotely anything resembling the cultural context of the term that the uh, the times that the term was born in. But people still will pull out, oh, but there's this social contract. And you're like, where's the fucking king? Is there a fucking king going on here? You're going to talk about social contract? So, so many of those terms, they, you know, they might have been appropriate hundreds of years ago, but we, we literally chopped the head off of that motherfucker, and Thomas Hobbes had to go into running. Uh, uh, and that's the Leviathan. Goes back to the King Charles I. And when we cut the head off that king, we have had sovereignty ever since. 
So that's just an, an important footnote that people overlook when they use terms like social contract. I just looked at the time and realized, my man, you got to leave kind of soon. Unlo- you got you got another engagement. So on a, I'm going to book us through the next little bit and get as much of your commentary as we can. But right here on. on the right, you see auger or agar is a measure of land in Latin. Whence comes the English acre? I think that's related to the Sumerian word iku, especially when you see how R's get added into uh, vowel sounds pretty all the time. And then I find this interesting that the auger is a tool for digging post holes, but an auger is also divining omens. Uh, so in my opinion, in my opinion, the uh, agrimensores or the chromatici of the Romans, who were the judges of boundaries, were also, now the, the status quo doesn't say this. The status quo says that they were just free men, <laughs> fray men, men of fray. <laughs> But uh, I think that they were also diviners and priests. I think that the disputes were always handled by that class or that caste. And then here we have uh, gimel. The word gimel becomes mm-hmm. camel. That's an obvious one. Gimel, camel, G to C. Also, though, I thought it interesting that alternate meanings of gimel refer to a gathering or harvest. So does camelot mean a large gathering? I think it might. I think that yeah, might man. be what it is. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta throw in the real quick. The uh, we all know that the CIA they run drills before they do their operation. Does that mean that they're running drills? Is in drilling in the uh, the the habitual training program, or does that mean that they're having augury readers actually sacrifice animals to see the future outcomes of their intentions? Just saying, it's a very fascinating possibility. Well, yeah, to flesh that out a little bit more, like think of um, 9-11 or Event 201. The drill happens and then the event happens. It's like the the drill, the auger, is also an auger in terms of telling you what's going to come in the future. So watch out for drills. (laughs) And we all know that in, in conspiracy research land. So good stuff there. That's a really solid weave. That's one. That's just a wild one. That is DTTH interchange. So in English, we call our fathers dad. In the old Welsh, a father was called tad or tat. In the Upanishad, the phrase tat thou asi refers to tat the Brahmin, the universal principle, the big daddy, uh, like the father of Mosaic history, a Brahmin, Abraham. Even a teacher. Uh, the TVAM transliterated as TVAM from the Sanskrit is actually pronounced thou or thou. So there you go. Seeing T becoming TH V um, V becoming more of like an owl sound and the M to W. Cause like thou T H O U could also be T H A W perhaps, or something like that in terms of how you might phoneticize it. But thou or thou represents the Atman, which is kind of like the identity of Brahman, the uh, individuality. And then Asi is, in my opinion, like Issei, the Arabic name for Christ, or even Asir, the uh, top god of the Druids, or the gods of the Norse pantheon, and etc. And then in Buddhism, Tathata, Tathata 
is a Buddhist term translating as thusness or suchness. In my opinion, it's a similar word to the concept of I am or the word Eve, which means life or existence, being a transliteration of yad he vav he. I think there's a similar concept going on here with tat, Buddha, dad, the top god, isness, I amness. And then uh, Tathagata is another Pali, Bali name of Buddha. Tatha is like Dada. So <laughs> there's a lot more we could probably explore with that. But um, yeah, the next couple of slides I have are, it's a big list of the, of words that have affinity between Celtic, Sanskrit, and Latin. And if we want, if you want to talk about Anything else, Gabriel, we can talk about anything else or even this slide. Or if you'd like to kind of see some of those words with an affinity, I can run through them for you while you still are here. Man, uh, well, one thing that uh, is kind of coming up for me a lot lately, it's just a strange pattern that I'm seeing is um, to maybe bring a little bit of it to the Enneagram thing is that the top of the Enneagram, the eight, nine, and the one, that's the body trine of the one through nine system. And I'm seeing so many things landing in the body grouping that is Buddha, body, uh, abide, even the bet, um, and the boat. All of those things are up there in the material realm, the exterior, uh, and uh, and it's also in language, which is just strange to me how many aspects of this uh, Enneagram thing are kind of comporting to some of the uh, these philological truths as well. So I just thought I'd just kind of throw that in the mix. Uh, oh, and that number nine is the slothful, the balanced, the stationary, the most material, uh, you know, you can actually touch it. It's in the physical realm. Whereas the other groupings are thinking and feeling. They're intangible. They're internal. They're on the private side. So I just thought I would throw that all in the mix, that it's just kind of strange how even in other languages, these bods, uh, bodhis, abidings, and boats, the vessel, uh, are all, they're, they're the same. They kind of share the same conceptual spirit, we'll say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bud is Mercury, like the planet Mercury, I believe, in the Eastern systems. And then you, it makes you really think about ca characters like King Tut, Tut and Tat, right? Yeah. Or I think of like uh, Ramesses. That's like Ra, the sun, Moses, the initiate of the sun, right. <laughs> Ramesses. And then uh, in the Egyptian... Tat is basically phonetically te, Tehuti, Teot, uh, Thoth. The Americas have all the different gods that end with Tot or Tatl. So that's all very much there. That's <clears> going to be that's some wild gravy. The, tot, <laughs> the Tottles. <laughs> so much to that, man. That is. That I know. Bridges, that Dylan hasn't even really unleashed his uh, Terminalia book six info oh onto podcasts yet. I can only imagine where that's going to end up. <laughs> <laughs> that is so wild. That's so wonderful. 
For sure. Okay, well, let's run through uh, some of these words with an affinity in the three languages. So in English, like, so I'm just going to go, you can see it on the screen, but the order I'm going to be pronouncing the words in, so I don't have to say Celtic, Sanskrit, Latin over and over again. That's the order. So I'll say the English word like God, and then Celtic, Sanskrit, and Latin versions of the word. So just look at the screen if you want to follow along. So God is Dia, Deva, Deus. Cultivated land is Aran, Aram, Aratum. Mother is Mather, Matara, Mater. Brother is Brather, Bratara, Frater, Frater. Prophet, which is Druid, Diviner, right? Faid, Vadi, Vates. You see so many examples of these letter interchanges here, like the Vadi, Vates, D and T, Faid, Vadi, F and V. It's amazing. Right. And, you know, real quick, uh, Prophet has an Ophi in the middle. And so the Ophi is the serpent. Uh, the diviners of serpents would be determining your fate. Vatican. <laughs> Vatican. Good. Yeah, they're the prophets. They're the Pateres. PTR. Yep. Uh, the Hebrew word PTR has to do with divining as well. Yep. Similar idea. Peter, much? Levatsky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, land in the Celtic is ter or tear. Then uh, Sanskrit da, dara, Latin terra. I just did what I wasn't going to do. I'm not going to say Celtic, Sanskrit, Latin for more of these. Ground, <laughs> uim, bumi, humus, priest, sacard, sacradas, sacerdos. Dor, Doras, Dwara, Fores. So there's an interesting one. We're actually seeing F and D seeming to interchange. <laughs> Good one. Yeah, man. There's a, there's a lot more, too. Um, a word or a vowel. Focal, Voc, Vox, Vocalis. Wet right. or drunk. Meothara Mata Madidas. You know, I want to, on the Vox and the Focal, just a quick, you know, the cowpokes, seen is to be without. So Vox seen literally comes back to without voice. Wow, dude. Without voice, and what did they do while they were doing that? They put they fucking put muzzles on everybody, and the whole First Amendment fell apart. You can't even get, you can't associate. You have no more freedom of association. They're gonna put a, a red hat on everybody and a mask. All right, go. Just had to say it. Yeah, dude, that's really <laughs> really important. <laughs> like that's the kind of evidence you can't turn away from, man. That right. uh, that the priest system is still behind the scenes, the government. They, they never yep. stopped. It's always been the same system. Very good. <laughs> Bacchus scene. Dylan points out. Vaca, <laughs> Baca, you know, 
Gets yeah, your, man. Gets your Jesus juice. <laughs> People, yep, they're getting drunk on science. The cow poke, vodka is cow as well. Totally. Yeah, man. Uh, great is Magne Maha Magus. So the Magi are the great as well. This is a really good one. The knee is Gain or Jane, Janu and Genu. So that's, that's like right. Capricorn. It's the gates of the year. It's the end of the year, right? Capricorn time, Janus. And it's uh, right there. Even in Celtic, they're calling their knee Gain or Jen, Jane. <laughs> that's right. And it's the, the knee on the anatomical zodiac. Totally. <laughs> Month is uh, Mis, Mas, Menses. King is Ryog, Raha, Rex. Uh, interesting. So there seems to be like a J to a hard K sound because probably Raj could also be spelled R A G. And then G could make a hard sound like a X or K, Raja and Rex right there. You see how like the hop, skip and a jump and we're in totally different letters, but it's the same meaning. A ship is Naui, Nav, Navis. Calamity, Clad, Clada, Clades. A day, Dia, Divos, Dias. Sound, Sun, Swana. Sanas and uh, station is stayed or stad, stan, statio. Fear is beam, beam, Timor. So there seems to be like a T to B right there, which is two and two in ordinal reduced. A pen, as in to write with, pian, parna, pena, the middle. Miedon, Madhya, Medium, a wheel, Roth, Ratha, Rota, a woman, Fem or Femen, Vamini, Foemina, a man, Fiar, Fear, Veer, or Veer, <laughs> Sanskrit and Latin, same exact word. Hold on, I gotta, let me jump on wheel real quick because everybody notices Rothschild. Uh, right everybody sees that well a wheel of fortune card this is really strange but it's the deus ex machina of the zodiac they say Rothschild means red shield but uh, a shield is a wheel you know it's a totally yep it's totally a wheel Um, but this is also it's the only inanimate object on the zodiac it's in Libra Uh, it's a technically it's a there is a shield constellation called I think uh, oh it'll come to me in a minute it's like a really uncomfortable word, but um, picks. No, hold on, I'm gonna go look at it. Um, but uh, I see a lot of the dark satanic mills of William Blake, um, uh, also come up in that uh, Libra. Let me see, scutum. That's such a weird word. Scutum is the shield of, of the sky clock, but Anyways, I just had to mention that there is a Wheel of Fortune, Shield, Rothschild, and it does, I believe, relate to the Deus Ex Machina, the machine of God that's going to save everybody at the end, unexpectedly in the plot. Uh, and uh, Rothschilds are putting themselves in that savior position. I, uh, I see that I made a, a transcription error here as well, that down here on Mind, in mm-hmm. Celtic, Mayin. 
Sanskrit mana or mana. Latin is mens, but I accidentally put menses, which is month. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the same word. Brother, I got a, I got a slide on you. Yeah. Yeah. You get on out. I'm going to wrap it up in a little shortly. So you won't have missed much. Dude, this is great. (laughs) Hey, thanks for hanging with me, man. Thank you, brother. This is awesome. Much love to everybody in the chat. I cannot wait to come back and sip on the gravy y'all are dropping. It's so good in there. Oh, yeah, right. It's super good in the chat. Thanks, guys. All right, man. Big love. Um, And, you know, feel free to uh, not take me up on this, but since you've been here and contributing a lot, you might have some thoughts. I'm going to shoot you the StreamYard link in your email, Dylan Sicosio. Thanks for being here. And I'll continue kind of going through this list. If Dylan pops on and wants to say more about it, then I'll, you know, give him a little space for that. Otherwise, I'll make my way towards a wrap up. But some more English, Celtic, Sanskrit, Latin words here. New is nuad, nava, novus. Stable is stabul, steer, stabilis. Red is ruad. Rudher, Ruber. <clears throat> so you kind of see a B and a D switch there. Pretty good. And a place. This one's interesting. Loc, loca, locus. I find that interesting because a place, you know, the, the place to be is the kill or the kel, the church, the circle of stones. Someone even pointed out the uh, word Peter referring to a stone, but the PTR in Hebrew referring to the diviners or the vates, the, the fathers, pateres, where would they do that? They'd do it at the circle of stones. The uh, gall, goal, kel, all that word going on. But anyway, at that spot, the circle of stones, the, the kill, the church, the place, the loc, loca, is also, you know, locus, logos, logos. That's where the logos or the the word or the Holy Spirit would come down. They're going to preach at you. And the uh, the Druid actually, the Druidic system even had a word, log, like L-O-G-H, I believe, that was referring to like fire or like the sacrificial fire or flame, if I'm not mistaken, which is interesting because what do you use to fire, fire up your fire is a log. You put a log on the fire and then... Uh, that gets you really close also to light, like Lux, or the name Lucas, as Polymathing points out. Lucas says, or Polymathing says, Lucas is a holy grove in the forest. Interesting. And Lucas is uh, Lewis <laughs> also. Thanks, Louie. All right. And speaking of Lou, <laughs> lust in English, Celtic is lewd or uh, lewded, something like that. Sanskrit is lubda, lubta. Hard to say with those weird H's. I'll just say lubeda. I'll just make the H into an E. <laughs> Luded, lubeda, and in Latin, luido. And I find it interesting too. Uh, this is something I would love more insight from uh, Louis, polymathing, Louis, about Lou how a lot of words with Lou in them have been kind of been put into a uh, negative light, right? Like 
<laughs> like lust, like lose or like lose. Anyway, there's more to it than that, but makes me wonder if it's related to the uh, sort of enslaving of the, the Irish Celtic people that seems to went on. I mean, we know, or a lot, maybe you don't know this, but there were practically as many, I don't know, I won't say practically as many, but there are lots of Irish white slaves here. <laughs> yeah, he says it's a lewd subject. There you go. Okay, continuing on the last couple uh, bits of this chart in English. Hey, oh, let's put this on hold. We got a man here. Say hello. What's up, buddy? I'm outside. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for calling in, oh, bud. Sweet. Yeah, dude, thanks for You guys fucking crushed. And uh, whoever just said that, Lucas being the wood, excellent observation because um, this place uh, that one of my families is com- coming from, ironically, their last name is Troya, like Troy. It's Lucera. And the Etruscan etymology is Luke, like that Luke the wood, and Eddie, holy, and Etruscan, holy wood. So I wonder if like the Hollywood is like a play on that. So, yeah, and that gets you close to Lucas and Logos are philological yeah. matches too. And something else to note is that Luke uh, is, is exclusively, when it's used as a name like that, it's exclusively Latin. Because if you look at in Greek, Lucos is wolf. Yeah, there is a huge discussion of wolf symbolism in our inverse telegram group today. It was like they they were getting into etymology and you know wolf backwards is flow and <laughs> all kinds of stuff that uh, you you kind of touch on in a God's Acre for Winds of the Soul too. And I was like, damn, it's like you guys we're on already the psychic bandwidth of uh, this entire topic of uh, philological lock picking and etymology that we're doing here. If you can, I don't know if it's within your means, but it might be really interesting. If you look up the attrition Selvans, S E L V A N S. He's depicted, you'll see him in a statue with, um, uh, Oh, I forget the other one. It begins with the C, but he's got the Janus two, the the two faced. He's got the Janus faces. He's, he's the Etruscan Janus, and then Selvans, which is like what you're just saying. That wolf. He's got the wolf head, and that's where you get like the Silvianus. All these other cultures, from Pan to like you name it. There's like you'll, if you look at like the Wikipedia, you'll see all these other gods that are in different regions that are like um, like parallel with that. And what's interesting is the wolf is a sacred animal to Mars and Apollo. So thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. I'm not, of course, on a Google image search, I'm not finding any thing that I can for sure say is uh, <laughs> actually Etruscan art of that deity, but that's a good lead for the future. But yeah, thanks for the kind words about the show up to this point. You know, your work has really inspired quite a bit of this entire subject. So I, I hope that this is a valuable stream for people because, you know, and I, I'll keep it, I won't go too much later with it. I want it to be concise and like a really good, almost documentation documentary if you will a uh, fast and loose one on the subject matter of how you can do this letter switching to better comprehend connections between one area and another i think that this i think that we uh we hit the mark we achieved that it's a vast subject but we kind of gave the good overview top down view 
So, uh, yeah, anything that came to mind during the conversation that is worth sharing right now? No, I just think you guys did a great job. And yeah, it's, it's, it is complex, but it's once you see it, once you get, just get to a certain level, it's all easy after that. It's just the early groundwork when it's, it's unfamiliar to you. And that's why like this podcast was, it's actually a great example of why they, you know, like people should go look into it if, if they find this subject interesting, right? Because they can go buy the audiobooks right now and they're literally supporting you. Right? So it's like, why not? It's if you, if you like the subject, why not upgrade and learn as much as you can about it? Um, because once you see this, Oh, you know, what's funny is like, it's kind of, it's, it's like not really related, but like, that's one of the things that happened to me after I did Aya was I kept getting woken up in the middle of the night and I would see that like matrix, like weird code in everything, but it wasn't fluorescent green. It was just like, like boring computer, like, like symbols and shit. And I always wondered like, that's like, that's like when I started seeing the languages differently. And I always wondered if there was like, you know, cause you guys were talking about the spirituality of all of this and the possibility that all of this is just embedded in the construct and people tap into it and create it based on their spiritual experiences. And that, I think that's like a huge possibility. And it's something that I was kind of averse to just because the other things lining up it's like, you, there's no way you can free. There's just, it's mathematically impossible that they're not connected, right? Like it's diffusion. However you want to look at it, these cultures are getting it from each other. However, it has to be on the back table that there is um, some spiritual thing that kind of just makes people inherently <laughs> create these things. Yeah. It's, I think it's both answers in a combination happening simultaneously, but uh, yeah. it's interesting seeing the, People report that on psychedelics all the time, like hyper sigils and seeing language, or maybe that's some element of where languages in the written alphabet form come from. Maybe there is something in the ether that they pulled from. Uh, I have memories of being on mushrooms and like trying to read text or specifically looking at the phone while on psilocybin. And there's the weirdest thing. I can still see it perfectly in my mind's eye, but. You know how whenever you uh, hold down on like a, a vowel on your text keypad, yeah, it will you pop up with other alternate versions of the vowel. It was like every letter I looked at had this other dimension behind it and in front of it, like holographically popping out, kind of like a holographic baseball card or something. And it was a bunch of different versions of that same letter in alien alphabets and maybe other alphabets that are real, but I didn't understand them back then because I was a lot younger and I didn't do any of this type of study back then. But I remember that very specifically, like every letter on the keypad had all these variations like holographically popping out of it. And I could see them all at once, like multi-dimensional. <laughs> but I, you know, people will take this, uh, these observations and be like, Oh, it's all a simulation. It's all, a <laughs> but I, I look at it more like it's not that reality is like a computer code or computer simulation, but that the reason why computers are able to work is because they mimic reality. If exactly. That sense. It's the other I, that's why I like the word construct because simulation almost like implies you're imitating something or you're like trying to, you know, where it's like, no, it's, it is a creation, right? The second law of thermodynamics, right? With entropy. 
that we violate, like the heliocentric model would violate that because we breathe gas pressure. And if there's no containment, that gas pressure wouldn't be here. So the, it is a construct, no matter how you look at it. The question is, what to what extent is it being kept from us? You know, like, there's so much that we don't know. And that's the thing with, like, this cultural diffusion that's so tricky to find is because everybody recognizes it in their region. But very few people chase it down to the base system, right? Like, even saw someone talking about the Welsh a little bit earlier, I think, in the comments. And... That Welsh, even though it has 16 letters, it still has those base, those root, those primitive 16 letters, even though it has 36. So you see there is a system that people much smarter than both of us have already noted all around the world, even in the lore or the, uh, by tradition, the Tamil is only 16 letters. And that's referenced in tradition. So who the hell knows what's going on? And it's, that's the tricky part is where is it coming from? Because it is a priestly system. And so then I just start asking like basic questions, like, cause I used to think that it was all coming from India. Right. And I think to a degree there is, it, it is coming from India. And China I think that it bottlenecks historically in different regions at different yeah. times, India, Egypt, Britain, and it's just different time frames. And that's the hardest thing to wrap your head around is the order that this, this stuff has moved around the world in terms of where the epicenters yeah. of power were at. And that's why I like what you and Gabe are talking about with like, the other subtleties you have to compare, like, like you might see something in Sumer and like, how do they get these minerals, whatever, in gemstones when they don't have uh, these gemstones in the natural soil, you know? And like, you see like, well, why are they coming from India? And, you, you know, there's, there's all kinds of cool things. And India has really good, like massive rivers emptying out into the ocean. So it wouldn't be that big of a stretch for somebody who can get there through maritime to just go in and start trading. Or vice versa. It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be a big stretch for the Indians to do that. The problem, again, the art of navigation. That's why I start, I include all these little, like, my opinion isn't just like based on one thing. You know, it's when you start adding this whole tally stick of everything. It's just like, it's all adding up to Italy where, you know, regardless of what the people were, that's the, that's like home base. And it looks like it always has been. It looks like that. If there was a Troy, that was Troy. You know, people say like, oh, no, somebody discovered Troy in Anatolia or whatever in Turkey. And it's like, no, because the same hoard of gold and stuff that you were passing off as treasures from Troy turned out to be some freaking like Persian treasures. Right. It's not even Greek. You know, so like there's all these little things that don't add up, but people want to make those careers for themselves and they want to curate history so that they can be that, you know, like you, you, you very well explained that. So it is interesting, you know, like I, it's, it's very bizarre, the weird emotional responses I get where I'm just like, Hey, can you just give me an inscription on a temple or a tumuli tumulus? I should say, right. These stupas, these tumuli, they're all over the world in Italy. They have the attrition on it. So if you're saying attrition came from Serbia, well then where's the inscriptions on the temples and shit, you know, who knows? It could all be forgery. Like the reason I don't get emotional about it is because I accepted before I started off that this could all, we, the diffusion we think we're seeing is actually the scope of the forgery created to hide history. That, that's frightening, but it, it's, it's got to be on the table. And I think it's what? on the table. And I think that there may have even been a historical practice of like initiates creating alphabets 
creating written languages as ciphers, you know, that, I mean, from other sects of their own brethren or whatnot. I think that's yeah, also very what, possible. I think that could be where things like, um, you know, cuneiform are deriving from why, like if there's any reality to any historicity with cuneiform, this whole system of logogram abbreviations in which there are like 20 meanings attached to one <laughs> abbreviation and how convoluted and crazy that gets. It's like different sects using a similar origin system and then uh, their own sort of uh, ciphering of it. But I wanted to point out a good comment here too from uh, Udi Yoga. I like this guy. <laughs> He's Red Higgins. He's he's crushing. He said something. I'm about, sorry for uh, your eyes. With <laughs> a magnifying glass, like I literally have poor vision because of this shit. But he said you have to think in sounds, not visualize the letters, and that is super true. I mean, I I, I point this example out all the time because it made me laugh. But my mom the other day, when she was saying ruined, she said ruined like D becoming T or how easy it is to make a G sound instead of a C or vice versa. And like, think about what your tongue is doing and your lips are doing when you make certain consonant yep. sounds. And then there's like a categorization you can get into where uh, there is a, a vibrational closeness between one consonant and another, but it's not as close between the other consonant and another one. So when you kind of feel that out more on the sound level, you could see how like dad and tat have a similar, maybe like even cymatic influence on the world that there's a vibrational closeness to that in a, like in an essence way, in a spiritual way. And you see like, you know, the one that throws me for the loop is like the whole aspirate things. And I saw something the other day where it's like, hold a piece of paper in front of your mouth. And when you say the word like pat, if it blows, you can see that's air, it's aspirating. So the paper moves, you know, stuff like that. Um, plosives, the bane of the existence of the uh, audio recorder. <laughs> plosives. That's why you I have this nice though, fuzzy thing on my mic. I wanted to add on before you. Yeah, I think I need to get one of those. I wanted to add something that you mentioned. You're saying like the whole creation of the alphabets. What if part of the initiatory, initiatory process was for each person to create their own, because it looks like the Bible. I, I know I just interrupted my own thought, but it looks like the Bible is a bunch of different disjointed segments of initiates writing their own story on the in, encoding the, the sacred science, right? If you will, or astronomy. Yeah. Well, and it's like if, they're taking that from the script above the script. Star, yeah. Script well, what if stars? every history, what if every history we have in addition to the alphabets, are just like initiation tests and each person goes to each region and does it. You know what I mean? And like, that's kind of some, some weird thing like that too. No, it totally could be like an initiation test. Like, all right, I, have you learned your astronomy? Can you look up at the sky and write a story out of it that fits the actual order of like alchemy or nature, whatever it is that they're working with that, that they consider the baseline. Mm -hmm. I think there's something to that. Now, I want to talk about a couple of just a couple of fun examples, like very small, but yeah, in terms of uh, some that I forgot to mention, the the V to F switch. A fun one is how in uh, German, the word Volk means 
what we say as folk, like the people. <laughs> so like the Volkswagen is like the people's car, right? And then this one's more speculative, but Isn't that related uh, to Fox too, like Volpes or something like that. It's been a while. I don't know. I don't know. Could be. Could be. Something with Volpes. I can't remember. So it's like in uh it's like in French or something. Or maybe it's like Volpes. I sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean Well, to I think Volpe and uh Wolf are philologically the same word. V becoming W yeah. and uh P and F switching Volpe and Wolf, and they both pertain to running or flowing as like flowing is running they're known for their quickness and their speed they run away uh, and then uh like lepine i think is the is a word for a hair in i think that's a latin word so lepine yep. lupine lupus. also something that runs lupus yep. right well, yeah it's wild those are fun words and then so speaking of the the wolf or the dog <laughs> uh you know about kukla Cúclahan or Cúclahan, the uh, the Irish folk mythological hero. Um, it might have come across my desk, and but I don't off the top <laughs> of my head. There's the the Irish mythos is so vast. I think it's an example of like a lot of initiation tests rewriting the mythos. But there's definitely a good amount of study for somebody there to make you know make their name providing good research to show the. They need it. There's not a whole lot. Like it's really hard for me to get into all that stuff because there's so few people that are like teaching it. You know what I mean? Like there's so yeah. people, so few people from there that are like keeping that language alive and all that stuff. It's because they're all speaking English, you know? Well, Kuklahan or Kuklin, <laughs> he was born as Sintata or Sintanta, but I've heard an actual Irish speaker pronounce that word Seneca, which I find very interesting. Wow. Can you imagine? Right? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it's not surprising. Like, that's why, like, people might get triggered. But it's like, dude, even the earliest Irish manuscripts, they're just, they're all Latin. Like, like you can say that they were another culture, but it's like, you don't really have anything predating like they literally, and when you look at that Phoenician alphabet and stuff, that's why I'm saying like, it's clearly ancient Italian. You know, it's not like, it's like people say, oh, well, there's an affinity to stuff in Arabic. Yeah. But are the Irish Arabic? Yeah. No. And just because two cultures use the same written language or written alphabet doesn't mean they don't have anything good or unique about them. You know, yeah. Chinese people speak English. Are they the same as us in every way? No. Do they have their own merits and virtues that are distinguished from ours? Yes. So I don't like how people can get triggered about that either, but it is kind of a constant thing. But about Kuklahan, or first that Seneca thing, you know, if it really is an accurate pronunciation of the word of his other name. uh, Shankus. (laughs) Right. And also the Seneca tribe of the Americas. You know, we also have the Creek Indians in that are right on the coast. Where, but to be fair, those are usually like uh, European names for them. It's not like they yeah, call yeah, them yeah. About that, you know, that's so true. That's that is true. the one thing we don't want to get too excited because that is the shit that I would get me going. You know, like, I'd be like yeah, <laughs> more. But then you got to slow down. And be like, wait a minute, what was it? What did they call themselves? Allegedly, <laughs> yeah. No, it's hard uh, not to do that when you get excited because it's it's really cool. You know. It's really like when you start learning about this, you see it everywhere. It's just so it's wild. Well, I'll just, I'm just going to read a um, couple of short paragraphs about Kuklahan. 
Okay, real quick though, because somebody mentioned earlier, because you were talking about the Chinese thing, someone mentioned um, Japan and the affinity to Hebrew and stuff. And it's like, yeah, but if you go back, Japan's alphabet, everything like mirrors the Mandarin. So that's something to to be mindful of. Just you know, I just wanted to I'm actually. That. I was. I, I'm actually going to bring up Japan in a oh, relation to, to this uh, Kuklahan story. Do it. Not in a linguistic way, but in a symbolic way. So he is also called the Hound of Ulster, and he's a warrior hero and demigod, and he's believed to be an incarnation of the Irish god Lu. So here we have, you know, just like. Krishna reincarnates in different forms or Buddha comes back in different forms. We see the similar pattern here. Uh, And he has like a whole thing about slaying the hound of Kulan or Kulain. So there's a lot of of hound or dog or wolf symbolism that goes in with this very solar hero Kuklahan. I think there's even stories about him like being physically hot. Like his body is super hot. Like he burnt, he burns really, really hot. Like they throw so him in water. You might be saying he's Hugh thou art the fire. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And like C and H interchanging. Kuklahan, uh, Hu, Hulain. But I think that with this hound or dog symbolism and him being a solar hero, which, who, by the way, he, uh, he tragically kills his wife accidentally very hercules of him yeah it sounds like virgo in winter <laughs> uh so he uh he has all this dog symbolism pertaining to him he's also kind of like a king solar figure as well to me like kuklan kuklain sounds like uh corruption on cohen which means priest or it's where we get words like con or king and also dog in greek so yeah, that. Kion. For those who don't know, Kion in, in Greek, Kion. It's like it would look like like K U O N or K Y O N, however you would transliterate it. But yeah, it's like the same as Cohen. Yeah, the uh, the mythology of the Irish mythology is super fun, and I recommend people go find something to listen to. Like, I got this audio book. Let me tell everyone exactly what it is because yeah, sh- shout it out. It's a steal, dude. I mean, it's not going to tell you astrotheology or you know, the deep stuff <laughs> that we get into, but it'll give you the basic story, which is helpful to know. And you hear names and you're like, Oh, that sounds like this. And you'll make connections on your own. I think but that's the, what's the value about what we do is like, we do this here. So you can go enjoy those simple things and appreciate all the shit laid up in them. I think that's, what's cool about it. You don't exactly, need, us. You don't exactly. need everything being so broken down. As when, you, when you're getting it, it's so much yeah. more fun. So the, uh, the audiobook is mythology. And the author is Scott Lewis. And this audiobook for one audible credit is a mega collection. It is like a 30 hour audiobook with Damn. Greek, Celtic, Japanese, Hindu, Chinese, Mesopotamian, and Egyptian mythology. Like all of the, you know, the, the greatest hits of all of those cultures. And I'm only on to, I got through Greek and now I'm in the Celtic. So it's, uh, I've been enjoying it. So Scott, Scott Lewis mythology. And then where I thought there was maybe a possible connection to the Japanese is how, uh, Kuklahan, Kuklahan, what have you is a solar, clearly a solar messiah deity. And he has all this symbolism with him pertaining to dogs as do 
uh, characters like Hercules, who has to like capture the Cerberus that guards the underworld, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, the sun god in Japanese Amaratsuru or Am- Amatsaru. <laughs> Make sure I'm spelling that right. Amatsaru, sun god, Japanese. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Hey, while you do that, is that, that but it's is like that- a it's like a wolf. Uh, a wolf dog sun deity, you know? Is that Hain in the word that it terminates in? Is it like H-A-I-N? No, it's L-A-I-N-N. But the way they say it, you know how the Irish and the Celtic pronunciation of words is so it's wildly different, different than uh, the way it looks in the letters. So anyway, though, the Japanese sun god, great divinity illuminating heaven, the sun goddess is Amat... Amaterasu. Amaterasu. Mater? Yeah, Mater is in there. Ama? Yes, and Asu, Isu, Isay. Isu, yeah. And Am, home. It's all in there, buddy. The savior, the uh, Amo, you know, that's going to be related to love, but also Om. So the God, you have that God, Mater. You made something good with the, the water and Mater. That's a good one. Yeah, that's definitely And that's there. why you see like the the water looks like the you know, it's historically always looks like the M and like all these little uh hieroglyphics or whatever you want to call them. That I don't know, man. A lot of this stuff is like it's just wild because I've I've got a post coming out with the uh the I've just looked a little bit deeper into like the Rosetta Stones and the other inscriptions and stuff, these like trilingual inscriptions. Like you mean to tell me you've got hieroglyphics you've got like cursive coptic and you've got greek well coptic was the language of the vulgar that's not the initiated language so it's like where is the phoenician in all these things like i really think a lot of these hieroglyphics are just products of the greek era they're not nothing's as old as we thought it was um and you know someone uh in the chat uh pk was saying like how do you know it any other the dating and stuff you ever look at yeah i agree it's like it is as shoddy as a motherfucker these people when you look under the layers they know so little about everything that it's shocking the authority that they presume you know that's that's why i'm doing that's like why i push back is because it's like no 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 i want to see where this stuff is in nature i don't want to see where it's really easily forged but to be honest with you all of it's easily forged. That's like something we just have to be realistic, you know, like that's why I don't get too, like don't get too attached to anything, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just the only thing to be attached to is the philosophy itself in how you can pertain to what is observably true in nature. And as a system that teaches you about the actual reality, that's great the cultural trappings or the identifying making an identity out of a label. Like I'm a, this, I'm a, that that's where the trap is. That's where the fights happen. That's where the gamma hives form. And anyway, uh, Josh in the chat, AKA EQ studies, he says he has like 20 pages of notes showing how Shinto Japanese is identical in many ways to the Judaic ceremonies and customs. And yeah, don't they also that? have the, Do you know how much, you know how valuable that is? Like, that's a vibrant if you want to come on and, and share that or, or yeah, you know, for pass sure. it over or whatever. Like part of why we teach what we know about this stuff is so that because there's so many cultures in the world, so many countries, so much history that 
all of you out there could potentially be picking up the torch and investigating the corners that you're aware of and bringing it together to com- help make the case. Um, That's exactly why I wrote these fucking things, right? Cause yeah. I, we're Americans. We can only do so much. There's not a whole lot of antiquity here, right? We don't speak multiple languages. A lot of these other cultures, they speak multiple languages. You will be able to get so much more. And you know, the Japanese, they have that, uh, don't they have that Teflon? Isn't yeah, the black cube on the Japanese head. Hat? That's the same that the Jews wear, that, that black cube or whatever. Like exactly they, the same. It, it's there. There is diffusion. The question is, is how old can we prove, like, what part of diffusion is it? Like, for one of the things that I'm, uh, so we were talking about, like, all the stuff we got on Mexico. I'm going on Crow uh, early next month, and I've prepared, like, 25 pages of comments, just, like, straight fire quotes not even my work just stuff so that knowing him there'll be about 24 pages left over that i can pick up exactly awesome <laughs> so like i've got like multiple like just and it, the great thing is is it's not really like it's not giving anything away it's just like let's look at it these are accounts i i used to think this was all whitewashing until i started hearing the shit from the natives themselves so now i'm like okay well, if Quetzalcoatl or whatever was blonde hair, blue eyes, you natives actually believe this. I thought this was them just saying like, oh, that's how they built the temples and all that shit. And this was like, no, the, the natives themselves are saying this. And um, Higgins noted that like, if this shit came to America, it had to come before the, the existence of the letters. Otherwise, they wouldn't have like, devolved back into hieroglyphic type things. You know what I mean? Like, so I think the diffusion, it's either really fucking old and this system of priest class is way older than like 3000 BC. Like it's like old, old, like all this shit. Or we might be looking at forgeries and the locals are just the brainwash ancestors of the original take. I don't know, man. Everything has to be on the table, but what is indisputable is that they have shit that literally looks like, like I said in the quote, like uh, in the chat earlier, that like the Peruvians, they had like all the fucking Jewish, like high priest garbs and stuff. They have like all these like Hebrew rites and you see the old Spanish accounts and they're like, how the fuck? Well, like these these like, I literally feel like I'm in the, the, the Jews quarters at London in South America. <laughs> it's like, they're literally, and it's like, it's bizarre because the, the further South in America you go, the more like the old world in like Europe and Asia they are. But the further North you go, the less like they are, like in terms of their customs and stuff. And the Mexicans are really good with like uh, gems, polishing gems. Like there's, there's just some stuff there that I is it's, all kinds of shit from people all over the world who have totally different skill sets than us will be able to look at it and maybe do their own investigation and, you know, finally break some serious ground because um, the, the, the friars, the Dominicans, and then the Franciscans, whatever, I think, it, I can't remember, I always mix up who was here first. It was either, I think it might have been the Franciscan, Franciscans were here first. And then the Dominicans came a few, like 30 years later after. Is one or the other. But they weren't even allowed by Spain to come here till four years after the Spaniards destroyed the Aztecs. So they had four fucking years to cover that up. Not only that, there are three of the original 12 friars. Yeah, a book burns in about four seconds. So four years is a long time. 
Yup. And these guys, they devoted like 30 to 60 years of their lives learning the language, teaching the locals, learning their history, writing volumes and volumes and volumes of this shit. And not one of these major works that any of these friars did was allowed to survive. If it's there, it's locked up somewhere in Spain. Maybe somebody can find it, but and, and there's monasteries in Spain where they, they may have been preserved that we, we name in the book, but we have lost so much of this ability to diffuse, to figure out this diffusion because when the Spaniards got over here, they realized how similar it was to everything in Europe and was like, oh, fuck. If we allow learned people to come here, they're going to see how illegitimate everything is in Europe. And what's significant about that is a lot of these places like the Spanish Empire, right? They're all deriving their power, the Inquisition, from the validity of this shit in the church. And so once you can debunk that validity, there's no authority that they're presuming. It's are there that they're actually, you know, that they actually have. They're just presuming it and tricking us to agree that, you know, they're from these like old dynasties and shit. And uh, that's like, you know, going back to like, that's the Farrago in all this mosaic history is like, it's all predicated on, you know, Phoenicians being Canaanites and Canaanites being black and being descended from Ham. And that's why the blacks in Africa uh, are cursed because they're descendants from Ham, which is nonsense. And those, but, but the people who believe that shit, they don't have any problem putting them in shackles because they're like, no, they're, they're cursed. No one cursed that line. That's the kind of crazy shit you're dealing with in the old world. Yeah. And that, you know, it's not outside of the realm of possibility of human nature for that kind of crazy shit to come back. So that's why we educate (laughs) as many people as we can about what is fiction. We might be next, dude. Yeah. Well, that's why we go to the gym. Yeah. Well, I, I did see this from, I was listening to Ray Dalio on an interview that just magic, it just weird. It popped up on my thing after I was listening to someone else, but he, and I don't know if this is true cause I haven't looked deeply into it, but he was saying that a lot of the people that were killed in the French revolution were people that didn't take sides. And I'm like, Oh shit, that sounds like witchers getting killed. <laughs> so we're not supposed to take sides. <laughs> and I don't care if that's delusional. I do think of myself as a witcher, do something about it. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh people who should read those novels, man. That's a cool thing to identify with. I'm good with that. I'll 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 be on the path. See you there. See you on the path. Yeah, well, hey man, thanks for calling in. This was yeah, a fun little uh, you guys rocked it tonight. It was really interesting. I'm gonna go watch us. Uh, there was a there was a lot of gravy. This one's gonna have replay value. So I shared it on my YouTube and hopefully you guys in the chat share it and uh get this channel bumping because the reality is chance is one of the best in these spaces. And it's, it's sad that he doesn't have a bigger following. And, you know, part of that is censorship and there's nothing you can do. But if it is within your means, if you have an audience, share this stuff with them because there's a lot of people that are drowning out voices like Chance just because they say more sensa- sensational things. You know, they're not actually doing real research, though, when you look deeper into it. And Chance is very well sourced, you know, and, and Gabe is like on another level. He's always got like crazy things he's i love what he did with budweiser dude no i think that was booty yoga that caught that oh was it i thought that was gabe maybe yeah i mean no gabe is on that type of level i attribute to gabe because every time he does one it's like one that i never thought of yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, he has a special mind. I hope he listens to the end of this. We love you, yeah. buddy. <laughs> no, good stuff, man. Awesome. Right, yeah. And uh, people can check out your sub stack at uh, drop that link for him. Oh, cool. Thank you, man. Beacons.ai, right? Yeah. Beacons.ai slash great tide. And if you see this, uh, it doesn't matter. It's open ended because I'm not getting crushed with requests, so I can do it. But uh, hit me up on Instagram at the Holy Sailors. Just type in a message, say, t- message me, say chance, then send that. And then in the very next message, an isolated message with just your email and send that. I can copy and paste that and keep track of who's messaged me. So if you people are trying to work the system and get multiple subscriptions, I can see you've messaged me twice, right? So just as long as it's the first time, message me your email. I don't read anything. I just copy and paste it and I'll give you a free month at my Substack. And from there, you can have access to the whole archive, which is, is like an, it's like the un, unofficial seventh book of Spirit World and uh, access to the next month of posts, which are already lined up through July. So I've been, I've been. He's been crushing. cranking it out. Yeah, really good stuff, man. And uh, thanks everyone in the chat for throwing in so many great comments. Yeah, if you guys do want to follow Dylan's work more closely or, you know, get into the stuff that inspired me to go in this direction and forge my own research path, then the Spirit World books are definitely the place to start. And I've narrated a bunch of them myself if you get the audio book. So five's almost done. It is almost done. It is like I actually I've finished the narration. I'm just fin- doing the uh, the last bit of editing, one chapter to edit, and then uh, corrections to make in some other chapters, and then we're good. We'll submit it. You guys might be able to pick up the audiobook of the Holy Sailors as Dude. soon as maybe in a month or or less. So wow, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely let you know when that's ready. Great way to do it because you support both of us at the same time and. You know, if you're already listening to podcasts, so what's an audiobook? It's going to be. Dope, it's a really dope way to access this stuff that, you, like, because you can read it, right? But sometimes reading gets a little intense and sometimes it's hard to stay focused. With the listening, you can just chill, go on a walk, go out in nature, whatever you're doing. And you have it. And Chance has a very nice voice. I've listened to it. It's great. It's like great refresher for me because even though I've written it, and read it a bunch of times, you still, you can't keep track of everything. So this is like the best way to refresh. And you're like, whoa. And you just make more and more connections. The more you learn, the more connections you make. It's really, it's a, it's an exciting thing, man. I think we did a, I'm very proud of what we did. I don't mind saying it. Like, cause I haven't had a whole lot in my life that I can say that I'm really proud of. So like, I don't feel, I don't care if people think I'm bragging. Like I really do. I would put this up against anybody's work. Yeah. And uh, it's really the tip of the iceberg too. Like, you know, you're building on the shoulders of giants. And Mm -hmm. if people really like this material, the even better icing on the cake with your spirit world books is that there are tons of authors that you can then go look up and find their books for free on like archive.org because you're citing people from 1800s, 1700s, even earlier. And so like as jam packed with info as your books are, you're like, picking and choosing the best stuff to make the case from voluminous sources that go into exhaustive detail on the subjects. And if you like this stuff, there's endless gravy to mine out of the spirit world series. I just linked in the live chat here where people can get the audio book for a God's acre for winds of the soul, the fourth book. And that one in particular is what is going to give you the most similar philology lock picking etymology stuff to like what we got into here. So 
yeah thanks everybody for hanging out thanks dylan for calling in and extending the show longer i'm having a good time i kind of like the new start time because we're almost three hours deep and it's not even 10 p.m here yeah so you guys stay tuned next week vibrant will be at 7 p.m central again we're going to keep this new start time and uh, i think it's going to work out great so thanks buddy good to see you and uh likewise i'll be i'll be in touch as soon as i i know what like what i've got left from crow (laughs) okay cool it'll be a lot Cool. Yeah, I look forward to that. Always look forward to picking up the the crumb crumb of your notes no, from other it's shows. No, it's not crumbs. It's, it's not never crumbs. crumbs. It's actually they take crumbs because they talk over you so much, and then I get most of the loaf. <laughs> yeah, it's no, it's but that's the thing. It's all a conversation, and what's cool is you you gotta have a different conversation about the same material because everybody sees things differently, so it doesn't get old, you know. So I just try to when people have me on their show, I just try to give something that gives them a draw. Oh, right and so that oh he disconnected that's all right i'm gonna <laughs> he's he's doing great out there thanks everybody for uh hanging out we're gonna just wrap it much love and see you on the next one